What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. I know it's been a while, but we have a doozy here for you to make up for it. You may want to spread this one out over a couple episodes. Just make sure you listen to the whole thing because we have our NFL draft extravaganza with Mike French. This one's going to go about (laughs) almost four hours long, but we have you fully covered for rounds one through seven in about six days. Enjoy the pod. Sean and I should be back soon to recap the rest of the sports world. Have a good night, everybody. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. It's an exciting one today. We got Mike French back. We are about six days away from the draft, and it's a beautiful thing. Tom, how you doing? And Frenchie, thanks for joining us, man. What's up, guys? How's it going? Happy Friday. Oh, it's great. Happy to be here and talk chess. As you all know, Jan Nepomnishi today just had a classless run trying to force his way into a draw with the white pieces. But Nish Geary is hot on his tail after that win against Ding Loren. That's good to hear. We man. didn't have you on for that. My mom, uh, my mom bought me a chess board for Christmas. So, And I, I think I mentioned it on the pod before that I was an 7th and 8th grade chess champion at my school. Well, well, well. No big deal. Looks like I have someone to play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But what are we here for, fellas? We're here for, well, we're here for the mock draft. We got six days, man. We are so close, and I feel like, you know, last year it was the only thing to talk about, and I feel like this year it's once again one of the things that's creeping up on us because there's NBA and NHL and MLB and Wait, we're talking, else in the world. we're talking draft? I thought we were coming on to talk about the Knicks, baby. Oh, no, we're not doing that, but you guys can have a little side session if you want. <laughs> Absolutely. How fantastic are these Knicks? Thibodeau Coach of the Year, baby. I don't know who else it could be at this point, honestly. Yeah, and the Nets falling apart. Yeah, well, you know. They're doing what they can with what <laughs> they have. Tied for first in the East. <laughs> oh, All right, boys. Tied. Congratulations. Yeah, sick. Um, but let's, uh, let's... Yeah, where are you guys? Fourth place? What is this? Tropic Thunder right now? I mean, come on. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Nets fan getting bold. <laughs> getting bold with New York's team. You guys are by far the B team. All right, yeah. ready to, you guys ready to jump in? Start off with the French Five? Let's do it. All right. I, I'm excited about this draft. I mean, obviously, because I am uh, – I, obviously, the Jets have the second pick, and they will be taking a quarterback inevitably. Um, how First of all, how did you feel about that Sam Darnold trade before we move on into the draft? Let's just get that out of the way. I was surprised they got as much as they did. Very impressed. Same. I felt really good about it. Yeah, Joe Douglas has shown he's pretty adept when it comes to wheeling and dealing these picks. I really think that Deshaun Watson situation helped a lot for the uh, Jets getting what they did. Because as I brought up last time I was on the pod, the Panthers were all in on Deshaun Watson. But once that's no longer an option with all of his legal troubles to come, um, you know, you got to start readjusting, find another way. And they don't want to jump up and become the team who gets whatever is the fourth quarterback available. So they took a shot in a guy and, you know, we'll see if it pays off with him getting a new 
offensive coach and a new offense and a new city and all the sorts of things that he needed to be new. Um, and, you know, in exchange, not too much this season for it, but getting a, you know, second-round pick for someone who's probably losing his job regardless is a damn good haul. Couldn't agree more. I said that, and I also said I think he could be, best-case scenario, he could be a top-17 quarterback in the league. You know, top 17 quarterbacks have won championships before. Absolutely. I I, I wish him the best. He's still my baby boy. Yeah. But we're going to move on and talk about my sweet prince, which now that yeah. I've looked at your rankings, um, I'm super disappointed. Yeah, uh, I figured you would be. <laughs> He's not last. He's not last. But, hey, are we are we going – we're going to go five to one, I guess, or one to five, whatever you want. Um, and let's right. jump right in and start chopping it up. All right, so my number one quarterback back is Mac no obviously uh Trevor Lawrence leading it off he does everything compact delivery great arm strength quick feet he's running faster than expected he's got a bit of that Daniel Jones thing just he ties his shoelaces a little tighter so he doesn't slip um nice the only flaw you know you can really have he needs to improve a little bit when he's blitzed but not a quarterback coming in right now doesn't need to improve on that but I will say his QBR when he was blitzed uh, was 69.6. That's behind Jones, Wilson, Trask, Book, Fields, Ellinger, Mond, uh, and Davis Mills. So he's a little bit below them uh, from there, but really just Jones and Wilson at the top uh, leading the pack in that stat, and the rest are kind of muddled in the middle. So you know that is an area where Trevor still needs to improve on, but he's bringing everything you could want to the table. And frankly, when we talk about generational players – Typically, people don't miss. Tiger Woods is on TV golfing at six years old when Peyton Manning's the number one player in the country since 12 years old. You know, Bryce Harper on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 15. You know, those guys don't bust. You know, and Trevor Lawrence, I think, is the least bustable in a group of, you know, after him, rather bustable guys. Yeah, and you talk about the bust, and I agree with everything you said. Trevor Lawrence is the clear-cut number one pick. Um and that 50% bust rate, or, or damn near it, is very prevalent for the first-round quarterbacks. It hits every year. Yeah, and t- to be honest, we're going to go through and rank these guys, and more than the talent and the work ethic that they're going to bring, the situation they're in and who drafts them is going to you know, play far more into what they turn into as a quarterback than you know the talent that they're bringing from college to the pros. You know, If Absolutely. you're just... Yeah, if you're going to guess who's the best quarterback, I'm going to start with whoever San Francisco takes. Yeah. Because he got the best cast around you. Yeah. Frenchie, I have a question for you. Sure. You know, there was a lot to be made about that SI piece that Trevor Lawrence was a part of, and it sounded – it came off to some people that, you know, I don't need football. I don't really care. I'm just doing my thing. And he walked it back. It was like, that was not at all what I meant. I know you and I texted about it. I thought it was a lot of absolutely – Nothing, but some people put a lot of stock into it. Are the Jags putting any stock into it? Is anybody in the NFL putting any stock into that article at all? The only team that matters in the NFL right now is the Jaguars, and Urban Meyer took this job to get Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. There's there's nothing happening there. To me, I read it, and what I thought was he's got – I know he's not from California, but he's got that California cool. He looks like a surfer. Football's not everything. That's not how he'll – defined his life when he's 90 years old entirely but 
you know, he cares, he loves it, he works, he does all those things. You know, similar Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers won the Super Bowl and said on the bus, you know, leaving the stadium or whatever, he thought to himself, this is it. You mm-hmm. know, and there's part of that that might be there with Trevor as well. But he's been one of the hardest working kids since he was about 13 years old, setting the world on fire. So the work ethic questions aren't ones that I have for him. Now, with the number two quarterback here, Justin Fields, those rumors have been about. And I will start with this. If Fields is actually last guy in, first guy out, then you just take him off your list. But I don't know enough, and I don't have those connections saying such things to me. So I'm leaving him where he is on my board. That's number two. Um, I like a lot of what he's bringing. He puts a lot of zip on the ball. He's mobile. He's strong. He's big. Uh, He was number two in the class coming out right behind Trevor Lawrence. He also has the lowest inaccuracy percentage between 11 and 20 yards. So kind of in that mid-range throwing, uh, he's got the best accuracy in the class. And that's really where you're going to try and pick people apart once you get in rhythm. He is very much a rhythm thrower, kind of like Dak Prescott, but with more physical tools. Uh, And he displayed a lot of toughness in the college football playoffs. That rib injury he had while he was still cutting up Clemson, I think that impressed a lot of people. But right now he's, you know, victim of everyone sitting around and the tape's been, you know, looked at before. Um, There have been some questions about how quickly he can diagnose a defense. Um, I, I think the Clemson film answers that. He's still put together a pretty decent performance against Alabama, all things considered. So I also, you know, just look at the tools that he has. And aside from Trevor Lawrence, they're the best in the group. My biggest thing to unpack with Justin Fields is, is he another one of those Ohio State quarterbacks that just looks so good in that offense, but doesn't translate? Because we've seen a lot of them. And I know Justin Fields came from, came from Georgia and he lost out to Jake Fromm and probably should have stayed, but. You know, he, he goes to Ohio State where every quarterback seems to get a lot of success. And, you know, we have not seen any of them translate to successful pros. Dwayne Haskins is entering his his third year and he's going to be on his second team already. Mm-hmm. So are any of those concerns valid with Justin Fields or do you look at him as an outlier? Uh, I think the concerns are legitimate. Rather not concerns, but it's worth asking the question. I'll give you one statistic that I think – Uh, demonstrates the difference between Fields and some of his predecessors. Dwayne Haskins, when it came to yards depth per attempt, was 46th in Power 5 quarterbacks when he came out. Justin Fields is first. Wow. He doesn't have the same dink and dunk sort of mentality that Haskins had coming out where occasionally the, you know, beautiful long ball would come out. But Justin Fields... And Ryan Day pushed the ball together this year. And that's one of the things that I see as demonstrating Fields' you know, ability and his accuracy, especially in that kind of mid-range of 11 to 20 yards. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think this year you kind of noticed that the offense was more designed not around playmakers on the outside and basically just giving the – quarterback the easiest opportunity but it was really designed around Justin Fields and his talent and I think that yeah through and he was just clearly more talented than your Cardell Joneses or your uh, J.K. Dobbins of the world or um, not J.K. Dobbins excuse me he's a running back who was that other quarterback that they had <laughs> that was a Heisman candidate uh, not Haskins the one before uh, him Barrett 
JT yeah, Barrett. JT Barrett, excuse me. I got my the the dual letter. For All the abbreviations. The yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I just think the talent really shines through, and this was more. You know, Ohio State in the past won on defense and the running game, and then the quarterback made a lot of plays because of the talent surrounding him, whereas this year you just felt that Fields was the guy and he was uplifting everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say that if it doesn't work out, I'll sign off Ohio State quarterbacks forever until the next one comes. (laughs) But Fields transfer also. Now, let's not forget, for all the love we give Joe Burrow now, and rightfully so, Fields transferring to Ohio State was why Joe Burrow had to leave. Yeah, a lot of lot of sliding doors in college football. If you look at it, I mean, you got Baker. We're Mayfield, just going to see more and more of it. Baker Mayfield. Yeah, now that the Mahomes. the NCAA has also changed the rules, so players can now transfer once without having to sit out a year. And so I think more transfers are to come. Sean, how many years of eligibility you still got left? Uh, zero, probably negative five. Um, let's move wow. on to French year number three. Didn't know you were putting in yeah, the so you, you keep calling me 30 and I'm close to it. So that, <laughs> and even at BYU, I wouldn't be eligible. Hey, All there right. was that guy that played with his kid at like South Alabama or whatever. You could always do that. Mm-hmm. I, well, Frank Gore is holding on so he can play sure. with his kid. So, so uh, Frenchie, number, speaking of Alabama, no, number three, yeah, number Matt three. Jones. And this was interesting to me. So with with Zach Wilson being mocked pretty much unanimously to the Jets, you have Mac Jones at three. Um, Explain that. Uh, I wanted to piss Tom off. That would be fun. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) So uh, I've got Mac. And again, I think after Trevor, you can rearrange these four, and it's mostly about team fit more than anything else. But Mac Jones to me stands out for one reason. He's the most accurate passer in the class. He's the only quarterback, when you look at the inaccuracy ratings, um, he's the only one to be at the bottom or in the bottom two for deep passes, intermediate passes, and short passes. Everyone else starts flipping all over the place. But Jones is accurate everywhere. Um, He's got the lowest off-target percentage at every level. Uh, And he also is pretty nimble in the pocket. He doesn't have a lot of mobility, but he's got quick feet in the pocket. And allegedly, if anyone cares about this, he ran in the four sixes at the pro day. I don't think it matters all that much. He can stumble ahead for seven yards and pretend he knows how to slide. Um, But Steve Sarkeesian talks about his mental abilities, gave him more responsibility than any other quarterback. It was a team that interviewed Mac Jones earlier this year. And after the interview, two months later, they asked him about one of the plays, the first one he went through, and he just drafted up again perfectly. So there are some pieces there, but to me, what really stands out about Mac Jones is he's the most accurate passer in the class. And you know, when I'm looking at him and Zach Wilson and comparing the two of them, it's do you want to bank on the upside with Zach Wilson from his mobility and the different angles he can throw at, or do you go with the less athletic player who's shown to be accurate at every level of the field? And I prefer the latter. He's interesting to me because he's kind of a throwback in the sense that he's super mobile in the pocket. You don't think of him as a mobile out of the pocket, although you mentioned he can scramble for those seven yards if he needs them. But God, his was, slide I is was, ugly. I just Ugh. looked at I just looked at him being able to like slide his feet in the pocket to get to that, you know, to, to be able to release the release the ball to the window that he wants, and it looked effortless. Mm-hmm. I'm just upset about the rankings. I mean, I just want Zach to be number two. 
Everybody does. Everyone wants their guy. Remember how angry Sean was with Daniel Jones' ranking? He should be angry. <laughs> Daniel Jones <laughs> sucks. That's a strong Daniel take Jones by somebody sucks. who just lost his baby boy. All I'm going to say is this. My boss, I, I did something at work, and I was like, I basically was what he was saying was I did 90% of the job. And he was like, you're basically Daniel Jones. And, and I don't know if he meant that <laughs> as a compliment, but it didn't feel good for me. It did not feel good. <laughs> Harsh. That's great. Yeah. So uh, it's not happy. We'll is get... it because he only made it to ninety percent of the end zone before exactly. he lost his footing on that on that run? That's yeah, what there he you was go. Oh, me too. Thanks for catching up, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the pod. So, I heard you before. I heard you before. So, so Zach Wilson. You think Texas uh, made him dumber? Oh yeah. Well, what? I mean, <laughs> I heard you before. <laughs> There's no reason for let's, me to comment on Let's it. go back into Zach Wilson. We both agreed that Zach Texas, Wilson, yeah. Texas I, made listen, you dumber. We've, we've got too much to go through trying to figure out what went wrong in Sean's life to get to where he is today. <laughs> True. We don't have Zach time for Wilson's a therapy a lot session. Easier. You yeah. leaving. <laughs> so uh, with Wilson, he is he has the lowest off target percentage in the class when it comes to deep passes. Um, you know, just so you folks have the numbers as well. Uh, when we're talking about airing it out in the deep balls, his off-target percentage is 13.2% off-target. Next is Jones at 17.4%. And after that, it's Trevor Lawrence at 23, Fields and uh, Felipe Franks at 27, and it just goes up from there. So when it comes to the deep ball, and that's really what that offense was built for, was him airing out the deep pass. And you know that was great about it. But he was the fourth most accurate in that intermediate 11 to 20 yards. And when we talk about accuracy within 10 yards, his inaccuracy is at 6.1%, which is twice as high as Mac Jones and is actually worse than the FBS average of 5.7% inaccuracy. And a lot of that comes down to his footwork. His footwork needs a lot of consistency. You know, people talk about Patrick Mahomes and some of the comp there and There are parts of that I really like because if Wilson could have the time to sit down and work on his footwork, Patrick Mahomes couldn't find a Mike linebacker when he came in here, but some quarterback education and the kind you get that Mahomes received makes a world of difference and allows the things like the different arm angles that Wilson can, you know, throw from and the way that he can throw it, you know, different angles, but also on the move across his body and all of these things. And now, I'll also add the mobility while running is going to be a plus. You know, Mike LaFleur coming in is expected to run an offense similar to his brother and also to Kyle Shanahan's. His mobility to be able to perform at different levels on the field, but also now those kinds of rollouts that are so typical in the Shanahan offense, that deep threat is so much more viable with Zach Wilson. Because as he's coming out of the pocket... Now it's not the first read being fullback or tight end. Now the first thing is, do I hit that 40-yard dime to Denzel Mims? So I think that with this LaFleur offense, he's going to bring another level to the sorts of things you can do downfield with some of those patterns. But that's a bit where I see Wilson and how he might relate to your Jets, if that's where I have him mocked anyway. What do you think of that, Tom? 
I mean, he didn't completely shit on the guy. I understand what you're saying about the inaccuracies, and there's some things that need to be cleaned up, but he, he did have to do a lot just to keep this team afloat. He wasn't surrounded no, with, the kind of, with the kind of talent that the first three guys you mentioned were. Um, and, and I just think that he is – I think he has the highest ceiling in this draft and probably the – if I were to guess, probably the – third highest floor I, I would put I would put Fields and Lance behind him I think Mac Jones is just going to be steady Eddie and I think Lawrence mm-hmm. is going to be um as advertised everything that he's going to be uh, I think it, it would take a, a horrible injury to hold him back right. or, or mm-hmm. a terrible bender I don't know maybe he gets into the coke game down in uh, <laughs> Jacksonville who knows um <laughs> but but I Listen, you didn't say anything to deter me from taking the pick. Um, no, and I, I don't and I think that you are. Said. Yeah, it, it, listen, I'm just talking, you know, some of the numbers and what they say and what my eyes say. And it's not that Wilson's a bad pick. Like I said, you can take any of the four guys after Trevor and order them however it fits your schemes. You know, but like you brought up the talent around Jones, Fields, and Trevor, you know, they also had – far tougher schedules and the one time that Zach Wilson faced a difficult team in coastal Carolina he had a rough outing and again that happens but just contextualizing both teammates and competition in terms of what you get which I think is especially important once we move on to my number five quarterback with Trey Lance let's talk about it so I'll start with some positives here with Lance Lance is a pretty good decision maker And part of my evidence with that is that he's one of the quarterbacks, one of the few quarterbacks who in college made all the offensive line calls, which he did at North Dakota State. Um, That information comes from Colin Cowherd, uh, who's rumored that uh, Trey Lance is dating his daughter, and that's how he keeps getting all this inside information on Trey Lance. Hmm. Well, that's something. Yeah, I thought so, too. It's worth bringing up. But anyway. I have to look at Cowherd's daughter. That's more important information. You guys keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> so Trey Lance had the easiest competition. He's in the FCS, 1AA, however you want to call it. But he has a lot of arm talent. He also played under center more than everybody else. And one of the impressive things from that was that he threw from play action from under center, which is tough because your back is to the defense. You, know, you turn your back to the defense. Yeah, as expected. Yes. Coward's a good-looking guy. Lance. Keep going, guys. Keep going. I'm sorry. However, at all... That's just you doing your research, Tom. I love it. I try. I try. <laughs> I've got off-target percentages, but Tom's got Instagram. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trey Lance, however, when it comes to 20 yards downfield on that deep ball, when it comes to the intermediate and the short, aside from Zach Wilson being worse on short passes, Trey Lance is the most inaccurate quarterback between the five at all other levels. He finishes fifth, fifth, and fourth. And that's going to put you at the bottom of my list. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I the, the thing that I look at for him is he hardly played this year. And okay. I, I just I, – I don't, I don't know if I trust guys that play at that level. I know Wentz, he got off to a really hot start. But right now, I mean, he looked like a quarterback that's kind of broken – Trey Lance, to me, seems like by far the least safe pick out of all of these. Totally agree. And one of the good things with him is you can rely on his legs because they did a lot of power running in North Dakota State. But with that running scheme, Lance doesn't even have 350 passes in his career. 
you're banking on a lot of raw talent if you go with him. Absolutely. This is a guy that probably makes a lot – sorry, Tom. This is a guy that probably makes a lot of sense to be mentored for a year or two before he steps in. Well, you look at the guy who was it last year that got picked up by the, the Packers. We're probably going to see a similar situation to that. Mm-hmm. Jordan, Jordan Love. Yeah. Love? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not Tim Boyle. No, not, not, not Tim Boyle. Connecticut's great. Shout out Middlefield. Nice. <laughs> Jeez. All right, boys. Um, we got any other quarterbacks? I did want to ask you about Kellen Mond just because I feel like he's been kind of a late riser. I feel like I see him in a New England Patriots jersey. I don't know if that's just me. Seems to be kind of a stiff player, but he can make all the passes, all the throws on the field. I I don't know how you felt about him. I know we're in the French Five, but I just wanted to ask. Hey, I'm all for it. You know, we can keep going. So uh, I'm I'm a fan of Bonds. I think that his issues are – trying to get the footwork right in the pocket. He's strange because he's very mobile. He's Actually, I take that back. He's not mobile, but he's a good runner. He, he looks, doesn't he just throw looks well like a robot. on the move. Yeah, he is very robotic with his release, with his stance. It's like he's thinking about what it is to be a good quarterback while he's trying to play the game. He's impersonating a good quarterback. Exactly, yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think he could use some more development, but we're also talking about someone, you know, 41 starts, I believe. Yeah. So he's had a lot of experience. He's under Jimbo Fisher. He's not going to be phased at all, but you know, we're looking at someone who just might have some limitations like this, as opposed to Davis Mills, who's become the hottest quarterback in the league, sometimes getting mocked late first and mid second. Now, um, guy out of Stanford with, I believe 11 starts. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's one. And the biggest thing with him that everyone talks about is he's anticipatory, former five-star recruit, great anticipation on the second, the third level. But again, 11 starts, and it's not as if he set the world on fire with him either. How does it go that great anticipation after, like, what, did he anticipate passes well in kindergarten or something? He played 11 games. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the uh, thing that I just keep going back to, Frenchie, real fast is like you—you you mentioned last time that you were on about how quarterbacks just don't get the time anymore. We're talking mm-hmm. about guys that haven't made a lot of starts, haven't appeared a lot. They've transferred, maybe. We're now going to be anointing these guys as you're going to step in day one and perform, or after however x many x amount of starts that you're going to be this. Will they even get to that point? And I'm looking at that on this quarterback list. And I just don't know. It's 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 a really weird time to be evaluating guys because the franchise they go to may not give them the opportunity. Absolutely. And you look at someone, again, the example I always go back to is Mitchell Trubisky because they drafted him after 13 starts and they said him at 50 starts is going to be better than Deshaun Watson at 50 starts. And whether or not that's going to be true, Trubisky didn't get 50 starts between college and pros the way Deshaun Watson did damn near his rookie year. By the way, Mitchell Trubisky better – more wins than Deshaun Watson, better winning percentage than Deshaun Watson. But I digress. Um, <laughs> no, nowhere near the quarterback of Deshaun Watson. I'll also say that part so everybody doesn't start throwing their phones. Yeah, everybody's um, going to lash out at you saying that Mitch Trubisky's better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm already – I can't wait for it. Can't wait for the fan mail. But, <laughs> you know, you're, these guys aren't going to get time and – you know, as you've seen with the Jets, you've got three years, basically, three years to prove that you're ready for a second contract. And if not, they move on and they go draft somebody else. And 
hopefully don't have to give up a world of picks to do it. I think the team that really has to hit this spot is San Francisco. Because if they miss here, you know, they're shit out of luck for the next couple of drafts, not having firsts, having a couple injuries all over the field. You know, and Shanahan's only got one winning record. He did take it to a Super Bowl, but that's that seat's a little warmer than it seems to be. Couldn't agree more. And that that whole trade, that whole situation was a little bit of a head scratcher to me. I think mm-hmm. I said on one of our last pods, you know, if you're going to trade that kind of draft capital for a guy who you think can maybe quote unquote compete with Jimmy G, you just don't make that trade. But maybe they're just doing the okie doke and doing the old Yankees thing where they're just bumping up Jimmy G's stock. Uh, aside from that, I just I don't understand it unless they think that Mac Jones needs a year or something. Yeah, and I'll say this too about Mac Jones because I do think it's important to bring up. Um, because there's some things that have come out with him in blackface and, you know, issues like that that are, you know, jarring and throw off evaluations like that. So to make a move for a guy this far out and to go as far as you did that early, you know, that that's very risky. And especially, you know, Mac Jones already has some decision-making question marks with two DUIs to his name as well. Ooh, the blackface thing is not good. I'm trying to trying to see if this. I'm back on the internet here, boys. Yeah, I believe it was something. Uh, yeah. Obama outfit at some party. His sister posted. Let's put it this way: in the words of Joe Girardi, it's not what you want. <laughs> is that is that is that bad? It's not good. There you go. Bad optic. Uh, anything else on the quarterbacks, guys? No, uh, I don't Kyle, have any Kyle Trask is going in the fourth round. Okay. Out of Florida? <laughs> yeah, he, he's one that has fallen the most, I think. Yeah, I feel like you know, he just was top. He was right up there with Fields and Lawrence at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he was in the Heisman race and everything, and now everybody's like below average arm. We're not really sure what we're seeing here. It doesn't move great in the pocket. You know, uh, people are saying everything from fourth round to Saints at the back of the first, but uh, I, I fall into the former of the categories. All right, don't have to talk much about that. You guys ready to talk running backs? Let's do it. All right, first uh, first running back you have coming off the board, or at least your number one ranked running back, is Najee Harris out of Alabama. Talk to us a little bit, a little bit about him. Six two two thirty, and he does a little bit of everything. Up until this year, we we're you know I was really hoping that I could see him as a power back, running like a power back, and that's what he came out and did. He was breaking through holes instead of always waiting for you know them to develop and it being a little too late so you know a guy with that kind of size 62230 no longer playing like Lev Bell and starting trying to be the hammer instead of the nail was great to see and one of the other things that I thought was big for him was that he showed he's got good hands and he became a real receiving threat this year and you know we saw those hands show up in the national championship game at once as one place but um, you know, the real question with him is how he's going to be without a line that's superior to the defensive lines basically everywhere. But he is one of the few guys here that I think really has bell cow potential. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love him Bama. Just watching that championship game alone, he, he had a monster run in that game, and he just looks like he mm-hmm. can do it all. Absolutely. Yeah, and, run, and Alabama running backs, you know, outside of Trent Richardson have panned out pretty well so there's a lot of teams you know looking in the end of the first round that 
seem to be zeroed in on running backs, and it would make a lot of sense yeah. to target him if he's on the board. And to be fair, Trent Richardson didn't like football. That was the problem there. Sure. He liked food more than football. All right, you guys yeah, ready no to kid. move on to the uh, the kid out of North Carolina who I really liked. Uh, I think I remember him playing in that bowl game. I don't remember if mm-hmm. North Carolina won it. Um, didn't play as much just because uh, he was in a uh, he was in a little bit of a of a duo there. Uh, yeah, so Javante Williams, that's our my number two. They lost to Texas A and M in the Orange Bowl, by the way. Yes, yes. Um, yes. But what I love with Williams is his break tackle. He's got a lot of balance to his game. He's got a low center of gravity. He's a violent runner, and people slide off him. This year he had 40 runs over 10 yards. And on those, 11 of those runs had a broken tackle within three yards of the line of scrimmage. So he's breaking tackles early on and still has the acceleration to break it through. And whoever drafts him, you just improved your red zone offense. Congratulations. Sounds like a jet to me. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Tom. Um, It's interesting, Frenchie, to to see him as your number two, uh, because I don't really recall him a lot at at college, but, you know, I was listening back to our pod from last year, especially when you were talking about – about the kid uh, who ended up playing at for Indianapolis this year. And you were talking about how his, his inability in college to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield and pass protect. He worked on all those things. If Javante Williams is already there, could you see him if he's in the right situation coming out of here, being the best running back a year from now? Yeah, I absolutely think that's possible. Out of the top three guys here, I think any of them might be the best one. You know, they each got things they're better at and, other things that they're worse at. And I think with these top three, especially it's just trying to prioritize what it is that you think makes the best back. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd bet on Harris, but again, after the draft, I would probably bet on whoever's got the best line in front of them. Yeah. I couldn't agree more on that. Let's talk about Travis Etienne. Uh, he came back another year um, to win a national championship again this year, but didn't really work out for them. Um, he's my favorite running back, and I think that's just based off the flashy play that any anytime he touches mm-hmm. the ball, he could break it for a 60-yard touchdown. Absolutely. And this, again, is priorities in how we look at running backs. And ATM has that capability. Every time touches a ball, can go 70 yards with it. Um, he's not the chip away at a defense guy. He's a game-breaker. So that one cut and go, that make you miss ability, that take everything deep, that's wonderful. Um, But I think he needs someone else with him to kind of pound away at the defense sometimes. Um, So that's that's why I put him at three. But he he definitely has. He reminds me of a better Tevin Coleman. Yeah, that's a good comp. I like it. You know, he's he's got a bit more balance than Tevin Coleman and definitely some more speed. Um, but he's got that burst through. And if he ends up in the system, you know, like Tevin Coleman did where he was successful with Shanahan, ATN's got that one cut, make you miss and go. So that could work out great for him. Absolutely. Yeah, has a nice Sorry. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just ready to move on to uh, the next guy in North Carolina. I was just going to say he seems like the guy, too, that if you can get him a little bit more competent catching the ball out of the backfield, this guy's just going to, he's going to unlock a lot of potential and and become 
probably one of the best and explosive fantasy guys in the league. It's very much the sort of thing his game should be made for, but he doesn't have great hands. And it wasn't until this year he really started showing some receiving prowess, but still a few drops out there, but it is much improved from last year, and that means that it could probably keep going up from where he's at. Beautiful. All right, right. you're number four. Michael Carter, the other North Carolina kid. He's kind of the flip side, whereas – Excuse me. Whereas Javante Williams was more the power guy, Michael Carter's the make you miss. He's going to immediately be a third down back wherever he ends up. He's exceptional in space. Excuse me. He's also a little smaller, 5'8", 202, though. You know, and that means that you got a small and compact target to hit. He's also someone who slides off a little bit. I think he'd be great in his own scheme so he can use that burst to kind of get through. But no matter what kind of scheme he's in, He's going to be able to offer on third down a little bit of protection weighing 200 pounds, but mostly the threat of him with the ball in his hands and a little bit of space and you know just how far he can go. Yeah, he's like, he kind of reminds me of uh, Darren Sproles kind of guy. Maybe obviously a little yep. bit bigger than that, but mm-hmm. I think he'd look really good on maybe a Dallas Cowboys offense, you know, kind yeah. of spell – Kind of spell Zeke, be the, be the ying to the yang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually had Sproles in my head when I was thinking about Michael Carter as well. But again, he's he's, he's got bigger. a little bit extra bulk up top. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But I, I've got, I think he could be something of a Kevin Falk for a team mm-hmm. if they let him have that kind of role. Put him in the shotgun, let him do, you know, the small intricate stuff, step up and pass protection, and you know, fly next to the center and take out a linebacker. Or just find those little spaces, run the Texas, run the flare, you know, and just get it 10 yards for the first down, eight yards for the first down when everybody fades back. Yeah, and the value there of being a step-in, really good contributor on third down, I mean, that's going to be super appealing to teams who already have a focal back. Yeah, totally with you. Jamar Jefferson, Oregon State, what do you think about him? Yeah, yeah, I I love this kid. I'm... Much higher on him than a lot of people, and I really don't care. Um, everyone else, you're free to listen and jump on the bandwagon now. I will be driving it for a while. He is. <laughs> he has great burst through the hole. He's really decisive in space. And one of the things that I like most about him is he might be the best pass-protecting running back in the draft. Um, he's tough. He's aggressive. He never falls backwards when he's getting tackled. He's got basically a one-cut to try and make you miss – and if not, he's lowering the shoulder and bringing you down with him. Uh, he he runs the way that I would want a running back to run if I was building a system. And it wouldn't even matter what system it was. You know, explode through the hole, make your move and go, and bring everyone with you if they if they try and get you on. So I, I'm very high on Jefferson. I think he's going to shock a lot of people in the league. They're you know. There are people saying he's more of a you know third fourth round guy. I think he's a second round pick personally so I, there's a team waiting who's going to steal jefferson sounds like you're really high on him i might have to write his name down for fantasy <laughs> hey I, I hope i helped some people out last year with james robinson so you definitely you know, there's, there's always a couple absolutely where is my guy the guy who i'm obviously driving the bandwagon for chuba he's in a mock draft later all right. Well, it's, obviously he's not in the top five. I'm very upset about that. Yeah, yeah, I know. He, he's in the top ten, though. 
All right, that, that's you, good to hear. You just say I only have so much time to talk about all these things. That, True. You know, some people get pushed out. Uh, understandable, a little disappointing. You have to live with it, Tom. You have to live with it. All right, let's talk about <laughs> wide receivers. We'll see who's getting pushed out here. Starting with your number one, which is um, going against the grain here for a lot of uh, a lot of professionals, number one. Obviously, you're the most professional of all. You have Devontae Smith. Yep. I got Devontae Smith. I have Mel Kuyper on my side, which means I don't need anybody else. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Devontae Smith is 6'1 and might be 170 pounds soaking wet. Uh, so, we'll put the, like, drenched. Uh, but he finds soft spots in defenses. He doesn't take big hits. He knows how to get down. He has a drop percentage that is half the drop percentage of Jalen Waddell or Jamar Chase. And he's got quick hands, quick feet. I think he handled press coverage this year better than Jamar Chase handled press coverage in 2019. And it's because of the feet and the hands, and especially the feet. Um, Devontae Smith's got some of the best feet that you could find as a receiver, and he just uses them to get space from corners. I think that the size... Again, it's more question than concern. I don't think it'll cause too many problems, maybe blocking. Um, so Chip Kelly might not draft him, but, you know, Chip Kelly's not in the league anymore. We're going to start <laughs> off teaching everyone how to draft, how to block that receiver. Um, he's got quick hands. He's going to get open. And he's going to make your quarterback's life easier. But, again, I, I think Smith, Chase, and Waddle, again, any of those three, it's just what is it that you are looking for in your receiver? I think any of them can be number one on the list, you know, respectably. Yeah, I agree with you. I was about to say, I don't think out of these top three, you, I don't think any of these guys are going to bust. Totally with you. So talk to us a little bit about Jamar Chase. Yeah, Jamar Chase, number two, uh, he's unique in his physicality. The guy that I think he is is DeAndre Hopkins, and that's one hell of a player. He, he doesn't have Hopkins, um, you know, he's a bit less agile. He doesn't have that same kind of quickness, but they're both 6'1", and they both play like they're 6'5". You know, they can elevate. They make 50-50 balls, 60-40, great hands, and after the catch, you can't bring them down. You know, they're both like, you know, 205, 210 pounds. And these other 185, 200 pound guys struggle trying to make that tackle. Um, you know, Chase, he's going to use power over quickness. He doesn't get open, but he's still open, if that makes any sense. Um, his press coverage will might throw him off a little because his feet aren't the quickest coming off the lines, but his strength is so unique and it's so different from what's in the league right now. It, it, he's he's going to be great. I just hope he's got the footwork of uh, of DeAndre because I feel like that's what makes him great, being able to keep those feet in bounds on those sideline catches when, like you said, he's not open, but he's really open. Yeah, totally with you on that. And that that's also something that can be improved. You know, it's not that he needs to come into the league perfect, but he comes into the league pretty damn good and, you know, room to grow still. Absolutely. Well, I think of DK Metcalf, you know, you, when you came on a few, a few years ago, and you know, he's a straight line runner and, you know, he needs to get separation, but he turned out to really refine his game and, and become a lot better. And I look at Jamar Chase, maybe he does find a way to become a little bit more separable from, from the DB and 
if he has that catchability on contested balls, then, you know, this is a guy within a year or two that could become one of the standout wide receivers in the league. Totally with you. And, and, you know, doing a little better with Metcalf in the sense that he's already got a better route tree um, and also not coming off a neck injury. So that helps him too. But um, speaking of coming off injuries, Jalen Waddle, number three, um, you know, he has a, he had a broken ankle, which he got against Tennessee in week five, I believe it was. Um, At that time, he had caught 13 fewer passes than Devontae Smith. And still had 74 more yards than Devontae Smith. Uh, he's also a great kick returner, punt returner. But again, he's coming off a broken ankle because he was so good at that. He was used on it a lot. But he wins quick in the slot. He takes the top off of defense. He's got a lot of vertical ability for someone his size. He goes up and makes plays. You watch the tape against Missouri. you know, And he's making catches way over the shoulders of some of these defenders. Um, one of the more impressive games. And the other piece, um, according to Daniel Jeremiah, he has the fastest GPS time that has been released. So not talking 40 times, not talking track speed, um, in-game, in-practice GPS, Waddle had the fastest um, GPS time. So when we're talking about speed, that might be the most effective way of tracking it is We've got GPS in the pads, in the games, who's going fastest. And you know, this year, according to Dan and Jeremiah, that was Jalen Waddle. Who's question for you last year? Uh, there you uh, go, Tom. You took it from me. Good job. <laughs> I think Ruggs is, Ruggs is faster straight line, but Waddle's quicker. Mm. I'll take the quickness. Uh, yeah, at that point, I, you know, we're talking is 4-2-4 versus 4-3 maybe. You know, yeah. But at that, at that speed, that little extra quickness and Waddle's a better route runner than Ruggs was coming out either. Um, so I, I, I would take while. And I, I think the top of this class is better than the top of last year's class. Even if the next tier of guys was better last year than this year. Speaking of the Just next sticking tier. with Bama comps real fast, Tom, I'm sorry. If we're, if we're going to talk Waddle with Ruggs real fast, Frenchie Smith, Smith and Judy with, Smith with Judy. Yep. Yeah. Route running wise. Yeah, route running wise, I again, I think they're both very good route runners. Uh, I think Smith is a little bit better. Where Judy excelled is a spot where Smith is also great, and that's man coverage. I got to shake this guy off me. But what Smith does a little bit better is feeling out the soft spots in the zone. And whereas Judy would use his you know six three six four frame to be able to make the difference there, Devonte Smith thinks it and feels it and gets to the easy spot. So I would, I would give Smith a slight edge just in terms of his anticipatory feel. Um, but again, uh, Judy coming out, he was able to plant the foot in the ground and make anybody miss. Cool. Number four. There is Tony from Florida. Um, and this is a guy who uh, kind of in that Kyle Pitts and uh, you know McCaffrey mold where I don't want to just call him one position because Tony can be used uh, – a lot of different ways, especially in the backfield, jet sweeps, a lot of things like that. He's really elusive. He has got that, um, you know, little sidestep that just screws up linebackers' angles. He does a great job. One of the things I love most is on the jet sweep. He can turn up just enough to get the linebackers to open their hips a little, and then he keeps going wide and just burns them. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Um, and that kind of quickness and those little setups also make a lot of um, easy, quick, open looks for your quarterback. 
Um, but he still has very good downfield speed. He's not Waddle, but he challenges the top of the defense. Well, I like to hear that. I mean, I, I like I like that guys for sure. I mean, we saw what Jefferson did in in Minnesota this past year. I mean, that was that was pretty special. Um, yeah, and, and, Tony, especially playing alongside a talent like Pitts. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's going to open up a lot with a lot of the attention on Pitts for sure too, right? Is there any questions that if he doesn't go to the right spot and he's a little bit more focused on that his his skill set's going to be. I don't know, maybe diminished a little bit on the next level. I mean, it's funny you brought up the Jefferson comp um, because those were some of my questions with Jefferson and, you know, what had me a touch lower and out of the top five with him last year was, well, he's not even the number one in his own offense and he only plays from the slot in college. Is he going to be able to translate and do all these things that he was able to do? You know, so... Um, part of what I'm trying to do while I scout my scouting is find better ways of just making sure I evaluate the players as they are. And I think Tony, you look at him, you know, manned up against people like uh, Israel Mukuamu in South Carolina, who's probably going to be a third round pick. And he just, he torched him. Um, and, you know, Tony also played very well, you know, throughout the entire season, just looking at some of the matchups that he was able to win and the ways that he can win. Um, was really what I thought was impressive because he can win just with a quick little stick foot in the ground, come back. He can win through motion and getting that extra space, and he can take the top off. And you know, regardless of who else is in the offense, if those three things are all in one player, he's going to be a threat. Yeah, I'm just thinking of him coming out of the backfield, especially with how innovative a lot of these offenses are now and kind of resorting a little to the college game or tailoring their offenses to the college game so these players can be at their best. I'm thinking of him in a lot of these gimmicky setups and, and schemes as, as a guy that's going to be absolutely lethal. Yeah, I mean, him running a jet sweep with him by the goal line, he's going to be able to get the corner. And he's going to be able to have that little shoulder turn, that little high step to make the linebackers have to guess. And that's the kind of weapon you need. Absolutely, man. So let's talk about your number five here on this list. Yeah, so my number five is Rashad Bateman, and he's one of my most difficult evaluations because the good is so good with him. But his drops this year. Evan Engram-esque? Engram-esque, yeah. I think it depends on what statistic you look at and whose you use from this past year. But his drops were... You know, somewhere around 10%. Oof. Yeah. Now, now, his drop percentage for his career is still around 7%. And the reason is almost all of his drops came in 2020. So you have to kind of balance the it, was it something about this year? Was it the you know lack of practice? He opted out and then he came back and he opted out and he came back and then he played and you know, so there was a lot going on externally. Maybe that got in his head. I'm not sure. Um, so that is just kind of a warning sign for people who, um, you know, want to take him and look at him. His highlight film is spectacular, you know, but his game tape has a couple questions. He also played in the slot a lot more this year. And I know I just talked about the problems of doing slot and outside and this and that. But um, in 2019, he had a lot more success playing on the outside. Um, they moved him into the slot this year, hoping he would get some easier matchups with some smaller guys. And 
they were a little bit quicker and were able to get inside on him. Um, but as an outside receiver, he's got some great route running ability, especially against you know bigger. He's got some of that Michael Thomas to him, where he's pretty quick for the size, but he knows how to use his leverage. You know, with that quick little in, he knows right where to get his arms so yours can't come through. You know, and he's great at adjusting where his body is in order to make those um, those kind of throws that otherwise would be questionable. You take a look at something like that Russell Wilson throw that uh, ended the Super Bowl. You know, just where that is in terms of how you're blocking your body with the ball and those little intricate pieces, Rashad Bateman has those. His only issue is sometimes... He forgets how to catch the ball. And so kind of that's, important. That's, it, it's very frustrating watching a full game of him, but um, at a certain point, you just got to take the talent and see what it is. If Maybe it was this year that threw him off. And, you know, I, I know none of us are at our best with everything that's going on, and that might have been what caused it for him. And, you know, it, everyone has drops. Smith's drop rates are about 2%, a little bit above. Chase and Waddle are both around 5 and Bateman's career's a little more than 7 which indicates up until this year he was in line with the other guys. But we got to see this year as well, and it was eye-opening. Yeah, look, I mean, it happens, right? You just don't want it to become a trend or a worrisome trend, especially in big spots of the game, you know, on a third down where you have a first down catch and, you know, you got stones for hands. Yeah, that's entirely possible. But while we'll talk about Bateman, maybe it's a bad year. Nobody wants to say that for Evan Ingram, do they, Sean? No. That was terrible. That was god-fucking-awful. And you're right there with me, so I don't want to hear any of your shit. Uh, I couldn't stand it. It's so bad. All right, let's move on to tight ends. Yeah, tight ends. Um, Kyle Pitts is, outside of quarterbacks, arguably the best player in the draft. Can I get a little love um, for this? I mean, I think I'm a genius for this. Yeah, I've absolutely. been talking about him for like you, you, a year and a half, two years. Yeah, Dude, you, I listened back to last year's pod, and Tom asks about him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this guy's on it. He's, it, he's yeah. right there. Talk he's about a guy who doesn't even football. like college football. Look what he's grown into. Isn't a college it? football expert? <laughs> yeah. It's your calling, Tom. It's right there for you. Yeah, if only I accept yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> but do I feel like one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you called it, and he took off this year in a way that, um, you know, only you saw coming. Yeah, um, he was just open all the time. That was the thing. I was like, exactly. this guy's open more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. No one can guard him either. No. Uh, you know, J.C. Horn came close and still gave up touchdown. Like, it's just, it's who he is. He gets open. He's more Mike Evans than he is any tight end. Mm-hmm. He just finds ways to get open. He's got that feel. And when you're talking 6'6", 230, he can elevate. There's nobody in that range. You know, he's playing power forward. This is more athletic Antonio Gates-style stuff. And... Since everyone just writes this part off, he's a better blocker than he gets a lot of credit for. People are always talking about how he's too small, he's too this. You know, he he blocks hard. And, you know, at 230 pounds, that's the same size as some of these outside linebackers. Now, I'm not saying that you should rely on him to seal the gap and run behind him. But, you know, he blocks with a lot of effort. He's 21 years old. He's only going to put a little bit more weight on and a little bit more man strength. You know, so I I think if 
whoever takes him is about to have one hell of a player. I'm looking forward to a gold. If I had to pick a gold jacket player, you know, from this draft, it'd probably be Pitts. Wow. Yeah, me too. Obviously, oh, you, since I've been in on him since he was, you know, a freshman. Oh, you in high have school. to. Um, yeah, basically. Yeah, but I heard you were in the maternity ward already getting him sized up. <laughs> yeah, I was getting him ready for the Destined jacket. For I think I think he looks he looked great in Atlanta. Absolutely. As, as long as Matty Ice can turn it around this year. Well, and he'll get to see how Atlanta looks now that he followed them on Instagram. True. Only team, only team that he's followed on Instagram. Mm, inside info. It's not something, but it's also not nothing. Yeah, we're doing our research here, boys. These That's kids, exactly right. these youths and their Instagrams. Sean's got an Instagram now, so I didn't find it through my Instagram. I it's found basically the uh, basically like ninety year olds. It's like Facebook now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, He's I'm, got bringing, my face I'm bringing now. a little bit of knowledge, so I want you to walk back your stupid Texas statement from before. All right, uh, French, <laughs> let's move on to number two here because obviously Kyle Pitts is at the top of the class, and I feel like because of his greatness, there hasn't been a lot made of the rest of the class. Two years ago, we had a great tight end class. Last year, not so much. Cole Komet was your number one, and he had a good year. What do you think with your number yeah. two? I think Komet went 43 to the Bears. Um, or something like that, yeah. And I think Friar Moose as my number two tight end is actually going to go quite a bit before that. Um, he's from Penn State, 6'5", 250. They call him Baby Gronk there. It's pressure nobody should have, but there's a reason for it because he elevates and he outmuscles and he does all of those pieces using his leverage, you know, and also his strength at 250 pounds. There were a lot of, you know, 210 pound, 200 pound safeties trying to cover him or really good press corner at 190 pounds that he just kind of pushed aside. Um, for his size, honestly, you would like him to be a bit more dominant as a blocker. Um, but it, he's all right. In college, there are a few that can do both. Um, but he's a great red zone target, and he's got a bit of that Jason Witten to him where he kind of hits that six-yard out, that five-yard hitch, makes the catch, and takes the hit. So I, I think there's a lot to like with Fryermuth. I think he's getting a little bit slept on because of how great Pitts is. And with someone as great as Pitts, you're going to take the shine away from anyone. But I think he's a very legitimate prospect round one, late one, you know, maybe round two, depending on where he goes. Um, and my number three guy is Hunter Long from Boston College, another 6'5", 255 kind of guy. He actually led tight ends in both targets and catches, which is pretty rare. Most tight ends are underused in college, but – uh, Long was actually the focal point of the offense at Boston College there. He doesn't have the most impressive athletic measurables, but he's got a diverse route tree. He's shown he can be the focal point of the offense, handle the pressure, not worrying too, too much about drops, and uh, you know being able to just kind of take all of that on while playing both in line, in the slot, and out wide on occasion. Let's talk about. So I think, sorry, Sean. Go yeah, go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say I think those two are the only other, you know, really second round possible guys. After that, my number four and five are Tommy Tremble first at number four from Notre Dame, probably the best blocking tight end of the class, six four two fifty. Um, but he plays more of a two point stance than a three point, so you're going to have to use him as kind of that H back or that F motion guy. Um, he's got straight line speed. 
I think he'd be really good um, running those Kyle Shanahan play actions where you go across the back of the line, you know, and take that and just run up like that. And I, I think that'd be a really nice piece. And uh, he'll add more to the running game as a blocker than anybody else in the class. And then my fifth tight end is Brevin Jordan from Miami, who's kind of Evan Engram light. Um, he's a bit worse of a route runner than Ingram. Good with the ball in his hands. Makes defenders take bad angles. He's pretty good in space. They used him on tight end screens um, a bit more than most offenses do with their tight ends. But, you know, we're talking about probably a round four prospect here. Outside of Pitts, which out of these next four guys do you look at and say, obviously it's going to be determined on the team they go to, but if you were to just go off of raw talent, I know you have Aaron with it too. Uh, is there any out of these guys where you would be like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense? Or is Fryermuth clearly the guy after Pitts that you're expecting to have a really good pro career? Fryermuth and Long, I think, are the two guys. They've shown the most, at least. Tommy Tremble's never been the number one tight end in his own offense here. With Cole Komet, and now Notre Dame's got a freshman who's unbelievable at tight end that Tom's probably going to talk about after this. Um, <laughs> I'll so, take a look. I'll, t- I'll just pull up the tape. <laughs> yeah, so Tremble, who does have some good athletic traits and very good as a blocker, um, still hasn't been the number one. Maybe he can turn into that, but I gotta trust what I've seen more than what I think's possible. And you know, rather, you know, maybe that's not the best way of phrasing it. But I think my point's clear. I'm just trying to trust the tape and you know what's been done as an indication of what can be done. Hey, that's what everybody's trying to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. You ready to move on to some O-line? Yes, let's talk the lines. Oh, we're an hour in and we're just getting to the most important part of the draft. Listen, it's built from within, right? Let's start. Let's talk some tackles. Built from within. You know, there's a great New York football team GM that calls these guys hog mollies. Hey, listen, it's built from within, but we're starting without. Uh, (laughs) My number one tackle, I think you go number one and number two here between Sewell and Slater. I have Sewell as my number one. Um, Slater's my number two. I think either of them could, you know, both of them are top ten players in this draft. Um, Penny Sewell, I think, has a bit more upside. He is a dancing bear and an angry run blocker. Um, He's got this great quickness. He has this one – his – kick step that first one coming out is as good as you can have the kind of athleticism he's got at his size is just rare i will point out that there are a couple maturity questions not really concerns but people worried about how's he going to handle money and moving and things like that so there are a couple questions there with his personality um that are out there and therefore i think worth bringing up again i don't I haven't met the kids, so I don't want to, you know, cast too many aspersions. But the questions are there, so if he takes a little bit of a dive, I want to make sure our listeners know this, you know, has potential to be wild. But uh, my number two tackle is Rashawn Slater, who's the most technically sound lineman to come through in years. Um, if you're going to watch tape of one lineman and you're going to watch one game of one lineman, watch Northwestern versus Ohio State in 2019 and watch Rashawn Slater stop chase young play after play after play that's, that's not said like, no, that's yeah, not it, 
and that's all you really have to do with him. Now, there is some talk. He's also high IQ. People think with his frame, a little shorter arms, this and that, he might be better inside um, at guard or center. I know Todd McShay at the start of this process saw, said he'd be an all-pro center. And there are other scouts that have said he's, you know, uh, basically like uh, Zach Martin with the Cowboys if they put him at guard. I think he's got the versatility to play all over the line, and he's going to be a damn good pro. Even if Swole might have a bit higher ceiling because of the athletic ability, Rashawn Slater is a pure offensive lineman wherever you put him. I like him better just by the way you talk about him. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, <laughs> but Sewell, I guess, has the ceiling there to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Sewell's got the Walter Jones movement to him. That six six three thirty. How are you moving like that? Sumo style push you back. Um, and Sewell is angry in the run game, and I love watching how he finishes blocks. You know, he's he's a through the whistle lineman. He's probably through the second whistle, and I think that's awesome because um, he he just puts people in the dirt. He's there's a great quote by uh, Bobby Fisher since we were talking about chess earlier. Bobby <laughs> Fisher always said, "I love the feeling when I crush a man's ego," and that's how Panay Sewell blocks in the run game. He's trying to crush the defender's ego every time they step in front of him. That's how Tom felt in seventh grade chess. Yes. And eighth. And back eighth. Back-to-back championships. Back-to-back, Sean. You ever gone back-to-back in anything? Well, definitely not chess. All right, <laughs> let's talk number three here. We got uh, Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, Frenchie. Yep. Talk to Tevin, us a little bit about him. Jenkins is my number three. Um, he's another one who plays through every whistle. Um, he Watching him, I feel like I'm watching what would have happened if the 70s Raiders played out of the shotgun. You know, just with how angry and aggressive he constantly is, um, you know, he gets a little over protect, uh, over aggressive in pass protection. You know, trying to get his hands out too quickly, occasionally lunging, but he's got great length, so he's able to make up for that. And it's also worth pointing out he's played guard as well, uh, as opposed to Christian Darisaw, who's my number four tackle. He's out of Virginia Tech, and he's probably got more pure tackle ability and athleticism. Uh, than Jenkins does. He was even used as a pulling tackle in college because of how athletic he is. Um, my biggest question with him is watching the tape against you know some teams who get big leads on him or occasionally when Virginia Tech had the big lead, it looked like he was taking plays off. And he was just kind of pushing it and, and running, especially in the running game, just kind of going through the motions, not playing to the whistle, much less through it. And that's something that it's got to dock you some points when I'm talking about offensive line because that's the position where you want people trying to, you know, crush the other man in front of him every play. Right. My fifth offensive tackle is Liam Eikenberg from Notre Dame, um, who kind of like Slater is all about the technicalities, especially in pass protection. He's very technically sound, um, but he's great in the run game. One of the things I like most about watching him, and Notre Dame always has some pretty well-coached lines, is the way he moves from the double team on the D-line to get to the second level and to you know take the linebacker out. Um, and so that's one of the things when you watch Eichenberg's film that really stands out is how easily he's able to still hit that double team, slow down that tackle, and then move to the linebacker on that next um, step. You know, he he just makes the seams for his running backs like that. It's 
one of his more impressive qualities. All right, awesome, man. Hey, to... I have a... Sorry, Sean, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Tom. I was just going to ask you a quick question, Frenchie, because yeah. you have here prefaced best class in a long time. Last year looked pretty fucking good to me with, I, it, with Thomas, Becton, Wills, and Wirth. Uh, what makes you put this class ahead of that or discard last year's? Sewell and Slater would be ahead of all four of those guys coming out. Okay. Maybe Werfs would be in the conversation with them, who was my number one last year. Um, but he, the two of them would be ahead of the rest of them. And the other piece is how deep this tackle class is. You know, we're talking about people like Dylan Radins and Sam Cosme and others who are going to make it to the second round. You know, the tackle class is strangely deep. Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan's another tackle. Maybe he goes to guard. Jackson Carmen from Clemson, who's been the blindside protector for Trevor Lawrence. Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama, maybe a move to guard, maybe he sticks a tackle. He's you know played through the SEC pretty well. Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa, and we're still talking about guys in you know third round maybe, and that's 10, 11, 12 tackles that could go in the top three rounds. We haven't had that coming out of college in a long time. It's really the depth of this class that. Um, stands out in addition to the top two guys. Thanks for clearing that up because that was definitely something that kind of got my got my attention after last year. So let's move to the interior line. Yeah, good luck. Um, there's one great prospect, or very good prospect, Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, he was very good as a tackle this past year, but he was great as a guard in 2019. Uh, he's really good when it comes to handling stunts. Someone else who's smooth in pass protection. Um, and one of the things in the run game is he's kind of he's the first lineman non-center to move. You know, right after that snap, he's able to get in and use the leverage. And that's what shows most in the run game is he's always the low man in the run game. And he finds ways to just direct his man in traffic. And I think part of that goes to USC having two really good um interior defensive linemen that he goes up against every day. So um, that's really the standout guy there. Um, but beyond that, I've got Creed Humphrey, uh, who's a left-handed center. That might bother some teams, honestly. <clears throat> we see the way that you know left-handed punters are used to try and screw up you know punt returners. A left-handed center might screw up your center. Who knows? But uh, he's got the ability for guard, so long as he stays in his gaps. He's more of a technical player than he is a great athlete, but he's got good power. He's got a lot of experience and um, not very many snaps at all going over the head of the quarterback, which is impressive given that Kyler Murray is only 5'10". Uh, my number three guy is Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. He's the, a guard only. He's got a lot of years starting here, but his play dropped off this year, and he got – he got crushed by Christian Barmore in that national championship game. He looked rough, but he still shows power and a little bit of mobility in the run game. His big thing is he needs to be the first one to make contact. You know, and this is what Barmore did to him. If the defensive player makes contact first, he doesn't have that same kind of balance that you need and that he has when he makes that first hit. Um, and so Humphrey and Davis, I see as legitimate round two prospects. After that, um, I've got Aaron Banks from Notre Dame, who's another power guard only, not going to be used pulling. He's not great in space, but he's 6'5", 340 with a great anchor, a wide base, and someone who just drives his feet in the run game. 
Um, he's not the quickest, but his strength kind of meets up with that. And Josh Myers from Ohio State, who's the center for Ohio State, uh, playing next to Wyatt Davis. Again, someone working between their gaps. He struggles against blitzes. And I mean, you know, with someone lined up on his nose and then a linebacker coming into his gaps, you know, he gets a little bit overwhelmed and people seem to go past him, but he's very good one-on-one. If he's got an offense with quick throws and power runs, I think he could be pretty successful, but he's a little bit limited in terms of the kind of offense you can run with him. So that's how I see the top five offensive interior offensive linemen in this draft. All right. Well, you have a note here, Landon Dickerson. He was the number two IOL. If he was healthy, talk to us a little bit about him. Yeah. Landon Dickerson, a uh, fan favorite at Alabama as he should be. I mean, he does all sorts of fun things like drives a truck with a wooden bumper. Um, six, six, He's 235. I could probably see that around here. That's probably what you're doing while you're down there. Um, He's played center and guard, which is great. But he's only had one healthy year out of all of his years there. He had a torn right ACL 2016. He had an ankle surgery 2017, another ankle injury in 2018. And then he damaged his left knee in uh, December 2020. And I would love to say he's going to be healthy and have a great career. Uh, But I'm far too skeptical of someone who has finished one out of five college seasons to be able to finish any NFL seasons. Yeah. Tough to see that happening after Jeez, That's a, that's a tough five year stretch, but what, what round do you think he'll go in just based off? uh, I still think he's a second round. I think he's going to go in the second round. His tape says first, round honestly um you know because he's you can't bull rush him he's so strong at the point of attack and his hand strength his hand positioning is very good and he's someone else who with the snap of the ball accelerates so quickly and gets leverage first constantly um and you know just like i talked about other linemen that i like to watch you know, it's through the whistle until the guy's on his back that he plays. So I still think he's going to be a second-round pick, um, and I'll be hoping for him, but I'm not betting on him. All right, you ready to move yeah. on to some defense? Yeah, absolutely. Let's switch it up. One of my favorite parts of the draft is the defensive line. Let's talk interior first, a little more boring, but yeah. talk some run stoppers. Yeah, so I split the – D-line into three groups instead of the typical two. Usually it's just interior versus edge. I added an in-between group, just defensive line. I'd kind of label them inside-outside guys. Um, you know, So guys who move from the edge to the interior on passing downs typically. Where else um, do you get who this, might be able to... ladies and gentlemen? Pardon? Where else do you get yeah. this? <laughs> Nowhere. Nowhere. Listen, I, I do it for the fans. I do it for the fans. I know what they need. Um, so starting with the interior D line, these are guys who play the one, the three, the zero. And we're talking about where they're lining up. So you're always within the tackles here. Um, and almost always within the guards, honestly. So my number one's Christian Barmore because of what he offers on third down. He's the best pass rushing interior D line. He shoots gaps really quickly and he swims well. His hands and his arms are quick. You know, for someone at 310 pounds, he can get real skinny. Um, he's the big question with him was until this year and even earlier in this year, is he always given the top effort while he's, you know, going against the run game? He doesn't have a great anchor, 
but he does have a lot of range and you know especially as the year got went on and he got more responsibilities you watch him you know chase down running backs who were able to break through the linebackers because Dylan Moses took another bad angle Um, you know so those effort plays started getting made as the year went on um, and you really got to see some of his athleticism shine through. The other guy I think is in the round one, round two, you know, end of one, top of two range is Levi Anwuzarike out of Washington. Uh, he opted out, but he showed up at the Senior Bowl as well, and he's someone who's just a spectacular athlete at defensive tackle. Um, against the run, he's better than Barmore. Is again, he knows how to use his leverage and you know really commits to doing it. And his hands are something else that help him in the run game. He's always chopping at the offensive lineman's hands. I think he could use more strength to be an impact player against the run, even you know more so, and be able to bull rush a little bit more and not rely on beating a guard with his hands in such tight space. But um, so he's my number two. All right. All right. Let's go to number three. Let's move on to number three here. I'll, I'll just keep going. That's fine. Yeah, man. No, I mean I'm, I'm glad you gave us our <laughs> breaks here, but we're this is this is your show. Just keep running it. Yes. Welcome to the Mike and Mike. I'm Mike. Uh, <laughs> my number three is Aleem McNeil out of NC State. He's probably the best run defender out of the guys I've mentioned so far, but he only has strength to push the pocket. Well, he does have good hands, especially as they show up in the run game to try and, you know, readjust the angles that the linemen in front of him are taking. You know, he's very reliant on that strength. He's an above average athlete. And, you know, you see that in some of the testing and things like that, but it doesn't always show up. And a lot of that I think has to do with him needing to develop um, his hands a little bit further, but he's going to immediately help in the run game. And he's got room to grow against the pass as well. Uh, number four, I have Davian Nixon. He was a junior college kid who ended up in Iowa for the last three years. He still needs to develop. If you watch his highlight film, it might be the best in the class aside from Barmore. But you watch his all 22, and you're seeing some plays where he's getting lost in the shuffle. And it feels like he's still trying to figure out a, what he's trying to do on every play. He doesn't have that plan of attack set up, and he doesn't have plans for counters either. And so, you know, the great athlete who still has development to be done. And number five, I have Tyler Shelvin, uh, 6'3", at 362 pounds. Uh, but he, he's he's cut weight since he got on campus. Um, but he <laughs> what he has is an obvious role, an unselfish role, and it's a role that he thrives in. He's going to be a nose tackle, go right up against the center, and take up the space that two guys are going to um, try and do. He... If he cuts a bit of weight, he can do some more of the pass rushing that we did get to see at LSU because it's college and you can do that. Um, but he is, you know, bull rush and nothing else. But I'd still think that if, you know, he's probably going to be around three round four guy and someone who's probably going to give someone two to 300 snaps just in terms of run stuff and value. And I think especially, you know, as we're getting to – a spot in the draft where everybody starts to have questions. I think a player who can give you an obvious role that he can excel in pretty quickly, even if it is in limited snaps is a worthwhile player to have. Absolutely. Where do you see him going? So uh, I think that he's, you know, someone in New York, probably of the giants variety, um, you know, who lost Alvin Tomlinson and might need a younger body to, fill the run gap um, that could be a spot for him and you know, we've seen 
teams from the Belichick tree used players like this before, and I think Miami could use a giant run stuffer like him. Um, but the Cowboys, I think, would be a team that could really use somebody like this, um, you know, because of just their defense needing to be able to do so much. And the last team I'll give you is the Packers, because I still don't think they're really over what San Francisco did to them two years ago, where, you know, they threw eight passes and still crushed them. So anytime you can try and, you know, plug a pole, and that's as big a plug as you can find. Um, you know, I, I think that's great value in rounds three and four. Oh, is he yeah. like a yeah, Vita Vea? Uh, more of a Danny Shelton. Mm. Vita Vea but, has a little more agility. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's really the gap there. I think Vita Vea, he's got the agility and he's got that little make you miss. He still offers something on passing downs. Shelvin right now is a 200 snap 300 snap guy who's in there to stop the run and if it is a passing play he's there to make sure that the center doesn't double team someone else Mm. okay i mean i i still think that brings a lot of value in the league yeah i do too and we're also at a point in the class where everybody's got holes you know we have some guys who just have no ability to play the run and we've got smaller guys who can only play the run but are worse at it so you know, it's all about what it is that you're looking for. I think that Tyler Shelvin has the best chance of that group to be an impact player because he's got a spot where you know he's going to have value immediately and not everyone else has that. Ready to move on to some inside-outside guys? Yeah, so my inside-outside guys, these are the players who are in that Leonard Williams-type mold, someone Giants and Jet fans know pretty well, who are going to be – you know, outside end guys, not edge guys, but typically when it comes to rushing the passer, need to win from the inside. So my number one guy in this group is Quiddy Pay from Michigan, um, who's an explosive athlete. He's one of the cleaner evaluations you can find. He just has one question of why doesn't he produce, which is a pretty legitimate question, frankly. And uh, since I brought up Leonard Williams, uh, I actually think that it's a pretty decent comp for Quiddy Pay, who's 6'4", 277. We got a lot of explosion. We have a lot of big plays, but then we have some moments where he's, you know, just kind of taking up space. And um, I think part of it's because he's a linear athlete and keeping him on the inside will do better. He also almost exclusively played out of a four point stance. And either he's going to be the first one in the pros to do that, or he's going to have to work on some technique pieces there. Um, but I, I, uh, it's been working for him so far. We'll just have to see if that's what he can keep doing in the pros. Don't know enough about uh, the way that all these D-line coaches want to play, if it'll be that impactful, because it's also happened so rarely. I don't really have anyone to compare that to. I'm just so happy you gave this extra part of the list, and this is, like you said, Tom, like where else are you getting this? Because a lot of these guys are mocked early, and, and you see them, kind of classified as a certain kind of player and it's like well not totally and you know you're as a as a casual fan if your team drafts one of these guys you're going to be like okay i thought he was this because he was you know designated as a true edge rusher it's like well not really so right you get someone like again leonard d-line version of a tweener you know it's kind of like that linebacker that can also drop back in coverage Exactly. Yeah. And so that it's why I think it's important because it's 
it's something different than what we mean when we say that that's an edge player or an end player. Um, you know, positions are changing and we don't always have the verbiage to reflect the changes. A perfect example to me was Isaiah Simmons, where it's like, what is this guy? You know, yeah. he, he, he can play all of these different positions, but we're trying to put him in a certain box and there yeah. really isn't one for him. Yeah, he's someone I'm really looking forward to this year because out of all the defensive players who were healthy last year, he had the lowest percentage of snaps. He only played in 38% of Arizona's defensive snaps, which was pretty surprising. So I'm wondering if he just needed a year of adjustment or to find him a you know more you know solid role or you know what's going to happen there. But uh, I'm fascinated to see what happens with him next season. Yeah, time will tell. Let's talk about one of the most polarizing players in this draft. You have number two in this category, Greg Rousseau out of Miami. Yeah, I've got Greg Rousseau here. Um, There are three spots where Greg Rousseau is one of the best players in the draft. First, it's defending the run, especially on the edge, where he starts on first and sometimes second down. The second is defending the option. And when he's the option defender, we're talking about someone who's, you know, 6'6", six, six, maybe 6'7", six, with a, you know, pterodactyl wingspan. Um, that means that the option, it doesn't matter which way you go, he can make a play on it. And he really helped Miami's defense with that part because there were some plays, you look at his game against Virginia Tech where they're trying to, you know, run the option and he's just standing in the gap and you're watching the quarterback figure out it doesn't matter what I do with this ball. He's making this tackle. Um, And then the third piece is rushing against interior guys. And part of that is because interior guys typically are a little shorter with shorter arms. And Rousseau just makes instant space between that. And he plays off their arms really well. Now, I don't think that he is that pure edge. You know, he doesn't fit into that category. Calling him and Aziz Ojolari the same player doesn't make any sense. Um, But especially as he bumps inside and plays against guards, I think he's going to have some really good, um, you know, moments in this league. And the other piece that I'll say um, regarding that is he's very new to the position. He really only played one year. He had four games in 2018. He had one season in 2019 where he had 15 and a half sacks. And some of those were coverage sacks. But as Giants fans know, coverage doesn't always equate to coverage sacks. And one of the nice things about Rousseau's length is it makes it so difficult to stay attached to him for too long. So those, you know, even if the quarterback might have it for two and a half seconds, it's much harder to have it for three and a half. You know, and Rousseau's not beating anyone off the edge and getting a two second sack. That's not his game. You know, but he does make coverage sacks much more easy, much more likely, rather. Um, and he's someone who's he came to the University of Miami to uh, as a safety or a wide receiver. And then they moved him to outside linebacker and D-end as he kept gaining weight and getting bigger and playing into his size. Um, and he's actually been decent when they played him in the flats in a little bit of zone trickeration. Um, so I think he's someone with a great athletic profile who's still learning the nuances of the position, but does have some places where you see the instincts and the athleticism shine. I wish he's, I could... He's falling... I wish He's I could gain in a lot of mocks, but I wish I could gain a lot of weight as I did and just still be a be a you know mocked in a draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't we all? Um, but part of that is you you start gaining weight when you get to six four, six five, six six. Um, 
just trying to stand on those legs, right? True. Uh, but true. I, I, I'm, I'm higher on Russo than many, than not many, but some are. You know, Daniel Jeremiah still has him towards the top of his rankings, among others. But um, you know, Russo has been taking a bit of a dive, and he didn't have a great pro day, especially next to two other uh, D linemen or really edge rushers and. Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips, who were phenomenal at the pro day. And uh, Greg Rousseau was pretty good. But, it, you know, again, if you're looking at him as an edge, you're like, wow, those are some slow numbers. You're looking at him as an interior player. You're like, damn, he's quick. You know, so I, I think he's got a definite role and he could really grow into something special with some good coaching. Milton Williams out of Louisiana Tech is your number three, man. Yeah, boy. Milton Williams. Any D3 uh, players played, this year, by the way? No, uh, D3. I don't think I've got Quinn Miners on any of my lists, but I'm happy to talk about him. <laughs> right. From uh, University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, he played tackle there, but um, he's probably going to be a center guard. He played a lot of center at the Senior Bowl and did really well, probably made himself um, a couple million dollars, likely a third-round pick. Good for there him. you go, Tom. Thank you for that. <laughs> Got a shout out yeah. to my Quinn Myers. Saint Saint John's last year. We had the Saint John's uh, Minnesota. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saint Saint John's other Johnnies. Yeah. Saint Lonnie's. Did he make? Um, was he on Tampa? That guy. Ben Barch, Jacksonville. Oh, I'm sorry. I got the Florida teams wrong. Seriously, where else are you getting this shit? This is ridiculous. <laughs> so Milton Williams, he played five three one zero for Louisiana Tech all over the line. Two years, he had 10 sacks, 19 tackles for loss. He's got good leverage, and really what he is is that classic 3-4 base end. Um, I don't think he's got the bend to stay outside. Honestly, that's where he did most of it was five technique outside. Um, I think you move him in, you let him play with that twitch and use the you know, a little bit of training on his hand technique along with his natural quickness and strength. And I think you've got a pretty good 3-4 base and someone on the interior to rush. Number four, I have Carlos Basham, a.k.a. Boogie. Um, you know, this guy's about 280 at 6'3", and he's got three things that he uses to win. Power, technique, effort. He's got great leverage. He knows how to stay as the lone man and how to turn, you know, what speed he does have into a lot of power. Um, I think he's he's best against guards. And one of the things that you love to see with a player in college is already know, having some situational awareness. And he gets to the quarterback and doesn't say, time for a sack. He starts seeing, where's that ball? And he actually had seven forced fumbles um, in his time in college, and he's especially in his – you know, more recent years. He's very good, and he goes for the strip sack every time he has the opportunity. So I'm a big fan of that. And then my fifth um, player in this group is Peyton Turner out of Houston. 6'5", 270. He played mostly end uh, in college, but he's going to be more of that 3-4, move inside kind of guy. High motor, who's uh, really good with his hands, which isn't something you always see from guys out of, you know, smaller schools. Um, and so he's got great hands. He has a lot of strength. And even though he's, you know, got some, you know, we'll call it developing awareness problems, you know, he, he can get tricked by the pulling guard and he can lose the quarterback during a play action and things like that. So as he keeps building that awareness, he'll get better, but he already has a lot of strength, a lot of power, some quick and strong hands and some, you know, really good technical ability. He's 
you know, he's also very good at setting an anchor for the run. Um, he might not be a perfect first down player because misdirection can take him out, you know, out of place initially, but he's someone who on third down is really going to shine rushing from the interior. Sean, you got anything? All right. Let's talk about a sexy no, position here. There you go. Missionary. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah. Throwing it back to the classics. Let's talk some edge rushers. Edge rushers, all right. Um, I think everyone out of my top five here has an argument for being in the first round. Ooh. I just kind of like putting that perspective there. I'm a little bit higher on this edge class than it appears the – average person is i think we have a couple guys worth taking in the teens and you know, a lot of guys who can make it into the 20s or might get taken in the top of the second so my number one is aziz ojulari out of georgia he's about six two and a half 240 and like black belt taekwondo style of hands rips swims swats bats whatever you want to call it um he wins with his hands he wins with his speed he's got a great bend his hips are always open um, and that showed up big in their bowl game. He got three sacks against Cincinnati. Now it was against a backup tackle after James Hudson got hurt, but he turned the tides basically on his own. He doesn't have elite size, um, but he's a solid run defender, and that's all you could really ask for at 6'2", 240. He is Yannick Ngakwe, if I've ever seen a clone of a player, and that's someone I think is really good. And Yannick Ngakwe wasn't as refined coming out of college. Sounds good my to me. Second guy, yeah, my second guy is Jalen Phillips out of Miami. Um, so Phillips was actually the number one player coming out of college, and he went to UCLA. Um, and at 6'5", 260, with that level of burst, you know, you expect someone to have a ton of talent. Um, he had probably the best pass rushing season in this class, talking about 2020. A lot of different moves, great burst, a ton of effort. He played out of the two and the three point stance. He's everything you want, but here's the but you got to have it. Um, he did medically retire from football two years ago at UCLA. He has a lot of concussions. If he didn't have this past year, he wouldn't be on mine or anybody's board. But he had a healthy year at Miami that impressed a lot of people. It's tough to figure him out. You've got to ask a lot of questions about him leaving the game. You've got to ask him questions about his health, and there are going to be quite a few brain scans that come along with this evaluation. But if he was healthy, he's an easy top 10 pick. And so you got to just kind of evaluate where you're going to be able to put that player you know, next to his medicals and next to the rest of your team. I guess the question here is is – what's the risk to reward ratio, right? I mean, this is a guy who clearly can dominate when he's good, but if he has one more, you know, ringing of the bell, so to speak, he could easily say I'm out and you can't blame him at all. But if you're a team that invested a first round pick or an early second round pick in him, you can't help but be a little upset about that uh, Mm -hmm. while also appreciating his sentiment there. So is this a guy that you see falling simply because there's going to be a lot of teams that don't want to take that risk? Or is this a guy that's going to get picked because of, Hey, if we can get him to stick and he says he's healthy, we can't give up on this talent. So from what I've been seeing in the mock drafts of people who are in the know, he's a clear mid first round guy. And that seemed to be, 
the sentiment coming out of his pro day and from the interviews that teams are having. It's he, he seems to be checking out as well as being able to pass some of the medical questionnaires as well. I don't think that he will drop too far because of it. But what I do think is that there are a group of teams who are just going to say, no, not for me. And that could mean that he ends up falling a bit, but with the kind of talent at six, five to 60, someone's going to take that chance on him. Right. He's going to be on the board and you just can't say no. Exactly. I'm just glad I'm so not a no- GM. Cause I'd be taking chances on all these guys. <laughs> Every single one. It's like, oh, Frenchie said uh, Bateman out of Minnesota is good. Just fuck it, I'll take him. He'll figure out his drops. Well, pl- yeah, please, please listen to everything I say about <laughs> these guys because I don't want to be blamed. You said he was good. I, I was there. I heard it. You said good. So there's still people giving you shit over Metcalf, by the way, for putting him fourth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> For putting him fourth off a neck injury in a season with 24 catches. Yep. But, I know. Hey, but, that's, hey. but that's, that just goes to show where we're at. I mean, And to be fair, I would like to point this out. I did a better job of spotting him than the NFL, who picked him as the eighth receiver at the bottom of the second round while I was saying he's a late first-round pick. Very but, true. Yeah. Who would you have in front of you? Yeah. Uh, Marquise Brown, Keel Harry, and A.J. Brown. All right, you're one. Yeah. You're one for two there. Yeah, I stand by AJ Brown. Keel Harry, I whiffed, but so did Bill Belichick. So I'll take that. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> All right, number three here on your list for edge rushers. Number three, Joe Tryon. He sat out in 2020, and I know teams are going to look at that in a variety of ways. I'm basically turning on the tape and you know pretending that it was it was a gap year. They just traveled to Italy, trying to find themselves. Right. Facts, um, yeah. What I love about Tryon is he wins off the snap as easy as anybody in this class. He's got that great burst. Um, Aziz Ojolari is probably the fastest off the snap, but Joe Tryon is right there with him. And he's got great reactions, great instinct, and a you know solid ability of just turning speed into strength. And he's coming with more speed than strength. It's going to show up in the run game. He's not going to be perfect on that, but... Once he figures out counters and adds a little bit of strength, you know that burst is really going to cause teams a lot of trouble. And number four, I have, a, along with Rousseau, one of the most complicated players and Jason Owe. He is the ultimate ball of clay. The scariest draft pick, I think, will be taking Jason Owe because someone's going to take him higher than everyone else thinks he will go because he is the ultimate ball of clay. 6'5", 257, who... I mean, absolutely blew up his pro day. Um, but even without any of the pro day things that, you know, you might have been able to see, like him running a force, a four three six forty at Ooh. six five two fifty seven. Um, but it, it is a pro day. It's basically a 39-yard dash. True. Uh, but even it, if I said six five two sixty and he ran a four four five, that would still be whoa. And he beat that by almost a tenth of a second. Um he had zero sacks in 2020, though. He had five and a half in 2019, but zero sacks last year. They did have 20 pressures this year. Ten of those pressures came against Indiana in the first game of the season. And so we have this otherworldly athlete who offers a ton of potential, who's only been playing football for about four years now. So he was going to be a basketball player until he said, yeah, I'll give football a try. 
know, junior, senior year, he's finally starting to play football. Um, and so basing all of that, we have arguably the most athletic player in the draft who needs a lot of refinement to get that burst you see on tape to turn into sacks. I think a project. He is a project, but he's a project with a high, like he's a project like the Mars Rover type of project. He's not a shitty diorama project. <laughs> yeah, I think you just bring him into a team with an already pretty solidified defense yep. and a player or two ahead of him and say, you're going to come in on these kinds of downs or on these kinds of plays. And you're just going to let him get his feet wet and you're going to let him learn everything he needs to in practice against better players. Absolutely. And I also think um, he's going to be someone who coaches are going to look at and say, I can get the most out of him. Sure. And Sean, as a Giants fan, I'm sure you're aware that the defensive line coats for the New York Giants came from Penn State. And so in 2019, when uh, Owe did have those five sacks, it was Sean Spencer, the defensive line coach, who was his position coach in college. So why do you got to you know, put me on the spot like that? You know, I don't know that. That's, there that's... is a little. There's <laughs> there's some potential for this, and we know Joe Judge loves his connections. So um, he, he's someone I think Giants fans should definitely keep an eye out for um, on probably Friday. I'd say. I'll put it this way: I'm looking forward to seeing your whole Giants mock in however many minutes. Two hours, <laughs> boys. I'm, I got to go to bed at some point. <laughs> I'm still You're not stuck. Going to bed anytime soon. I'm still stuck on the gap year. Some of us, you know, 21 years old, take a gap year to Italy. Some of us wait till we're 35 and we move to Texas. We all move at our own pace. You're such a piece of shit. 35 now? Some of us move to Texas at 35 and get a little bit slower, you know? What a bad guy. (laughs) It really doesn't take anything more to say than bad guy. You ready to talk about number five? Yes, absolutely. Uh, It's a player I really like, too, in Joseph Osai. Um, I think Joseph Osai has the hottest motor in the entire draft. This guy never quits on a play you watch him chase 40 50 yards trying to get downfield to take down a receiver doing a couple little jukes against a corner somewhere and joseph osai's 45 just flies out of nowhere and makes the tackle um until 2020 they played him all over the field he's someone else who's still really new to football um he finally found a home at edge rusher really out of a two-point stance um this year he still needs refinement. He needs someone to teach him how to do a pass rush counter, especially because if he makes his play, he's doing great. But if he gets stymied, he really struggles adjusting and making that second move. Um, but he's also a phenomenal athlete, 6'3", 245. And he's someone who's around turnovers regularly. It's not always him making the turnover, but you see he had the pressure when the quarterback threw it a little bit off. Or back when he was playing middle linebacker, you know, he would tip the ball up and somebody would come up with it. He's just always around the ball when plays are being made. And, um, and I think there's just a bit of it quality to someone like Joseph Osai, especially when you see the way his teammates get around him and you know the way that that motor just burns and burns. He, he's going he's gonna to be a coach's example player. He's going to be the be like Osai. You know, that's the guy I want you to be like. That's how I want my problem players to act and point to him. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, man. I mean, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams 
in the middle rounds here or, or at the end of the first to the second even that are going to be very happy coming away with some of these prospects. So let's get into the linebackers here because I feel like this is an interesting one. You labeled here two elite talents, and by the way, I know you're going to be contributing to the website, so we'll, we'll uh, talk about that at the end of the pod. But talk about the top two elite talents in this class uh, before you get to three, four, and five because these are names that anyone that's been following – the mock drafts are they're pretty familiar with yeah so my top two guys the first one is uh now i I also know this is a little flipped from a lot of people who are you know doing the same sorts of things as i am but i can only go with what i see um and my top inside linebacker is jeremiah owusu koromoa um say that five times fast for me tom (laughs) spell it once for me row we'll see who finishes first (laughs) Well, that Texas education, my, I think I win. Sorry, last one, my Sean. My starting and such a piece of shit. Last one. We still got three hours to go. <laughs> my starting and ending point with Jeremiah Osukoromoa, or JOK, as we can all start calling him. And as I typed, because that's long, he was pro football focused number two rated player when it comes to slot coverage. He's a linebacker. The end. Jesus. Number That's one plenty. for me, too. You made he's, up my mind. He's, he's 6'1", plays at about 215, 220. And when the ball carrier is in his sights, he's Bobby Boucher. He's got some truck stick hits pushing up on that right joystick, taking people down. Um, he also has the incredible instincts. You have a play against Clemson earlier this year where he blitzed on a speed option. You know, uh, it was DJ Uyunglele and uh, Travis Etienne. They were running a speed option to the right. And he steps up on the quarterback while the quarterback pitches it. He goes and snatches it out of Etienne's hands and takes it in for a touchdown for Notre Dame's win against Clemson. His instincts, I think, are phenomenal. The question is 6'1 and 215, 220. You know, how much linebacker, you know, between the tackles are you playing? I think he's definitely more of a will linebacker playing that weak side, going against receivers and covering tight ends, uh, being more of what he's really focused on. But he's someone who will give a defensive coordinator a lot of versatility. He's tough between the tackles. The bigger thing than, you know, his toughness is him getting off of blocks, which can be a little bit of a struggle at his size. But when you have such elite coverage skills – and such instinctual play, the sorts of things like getting off of a block are going to be able to come or be compensated for because you have so many positive talents that other people can fill in those gaps for you. And that's a little bit of a flip side of my number two player at the position of Micah Parsons from Penn State, who's 6'2", 6'2 245. Um, he sat out this year. He opted out. But he has a lot of athleticism and downhill playmaking in his game. He's an exceptional run defender. He beats the line to the block and he does a phenomenal job of reading the offensive line as they're starting to come out of their blocks and setting up the play. He just finds ways to slip between them or to get a little bit of space so he can shrug them off and all those things. Uh, He just doesn't have many plays in pass coverage. Um, a lot less, uh, many fewer plays than Jeremiah Wusukoromoa for sure. Um, but a lot of that has to do with Penn State blitzed him from the middle. They basically said you can QB spy 
You can stay in coverage. You can play the hook curl, or you can blitz. And they let him figure it out and feel it out for himself. And that was a damn successful strategy for them. He doesn't show great instinct for reading passing coverage, but he is the perfect. You're going up against Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. Let him QB spy. And they're not going to be able to move past the line of scrimmage because of how he plays. He's aggressive. He's downhill. Um, and he is just he, – he is phenomenal against the run. And that kind of aggression carries out through all of his game. Um, it is worth bringing up. Michael Parsons does have character concerns. Now, I, my rankings are in spite of that. I have him at number two and JOK at number one regardless of character questions. Um, in high school, Parsons uh, yelled gun in the high school cafeteria and then got suspended, so he transferred schools, though they say it's not related, mm. allegedly then. Um, he was also involved in a hazing scandal that involved, um, again, allegedly, according to a lawsuit, um, he was involved in a hazing scandal, and though others are saying he wasn't part of the sodomizing act. Oh, um, yeah, so... He has some questions. When he was coming out in high school, he was the fifth-ranked player, and uh, he you know, would send out all sorts of tweets to try and get fans from different colleges riled up. And you know, His favorite part of the recruiting process that you know, he brought up, and his dad said that some Ohio State it was offered him a scholarship, and his response was, look, I'm trending. And that's not going to be for every team. And so Parsons, as a player and as a person, even though – there's a lot of talks of his growth and LeVar Arrington, who's worked with him as a fellow or a former Penn state linebacker speaks of him very highly for all of the different charities that he works with and advocacy groups and different things like that. But um, there are some questions you know, beyond the field. So I think it, again, for the fans at home, the little girls and boys who are going to be watching Thursday and might wonder why a slide is possible for someone like Mike Parsons. I want everybody to have that information. No, we appreciate that. And honestly, that's, you know, that's the hard part of evaluating some of these guys, right? Because you're thinking, okay, this is part of your past. And is this who you are? And have you grown? Or is it something that he was so, so ashamed of that he doesn't want coming out and he's really moved on from it. And he is what he is now as as a good charitable guy. And that's in this age group of like, you know, 19 to 22 it's mm-hmm. a really hard thing to, it's a really hard thing to evaluate yeah and it's tough more drafts have gone wrong because teams misevaluate the person more than the player right and so this is going to be on the teams they get the opportunity to sit down and talk to them you know they have all sorts of private investigators at a budget that could pay all three of our salaries let's I'm see right. what you've all learned about them <laughs> Tom's doing just fine. He's the CEO yeah. of a couple of big companies here, so you know. yeah. I, I don't think you know what the New York Jets pay in private eyes. <laughs> Great point. True. All right, Frenchie. Those are the top two there. Let's talk. Let's run down three, four, and five here for your linebackers. Yeah. So those top two guys are top ten players in the draft. But the rest of this, we got Jabril Cox out of LSU. Um, calling him out of LSU is like calling Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma. Most of Cox play came from North Dakota State, but he transferred to LSU this year and was able to uh, play. He's a bit similar to Owusu Koromoa, except Cox is 6'3", um, and just isn't as good in coverage. But other than JOK, he is the best coverage linebacker. I think he'd be spectacular in a Tampa 2 where he takes that deep middle read, but he's also 
um, good in space. He can go sideline to sideline. Um, but he doesn't have the same kind of strength that you would want for someone playing the run game. And it shows up on tape when he tries to play the run. So, you know, maybe he's a nickel linebacker or something else um, in there. But if you've got someone 6'3", 233, who's, you know, adept in coverage, you can figure out the strength a little bit later. Um, next, I got Zaven Collins, 6'3", 260. Um, and yes, you heard me correct at 260. Uh, he has a ton of you know strength and just athleticism playing that well. Not the greasiest hips, a little bit stiff. Um, but he's used as a mic. He's used as a slot cover guy. And he's used as a blitzer off the edge. And I really like that versatility. And my fifth guy is Jamin Davis, who's been one of the biggest risers in the draft. And you know, there's talk of him sneaking into the end of the first round. Uh, he's got great speed, exceptional range. If you turn on a Kentucky game, 44 flies all over the field. His big thing lacks experience. It shows up in the game. It shows up when he plays. He doesn't have you know, such instinctual moments the way that Zayvon Collins or Michael Parsons do. Um, but coaching, time playing can improve those sorts of anticipatory qualities. And again, you're talking about the kind of ball of clay that defensive coordinators are going to say, I can make this guy into something special. I'm excited to see what he turns into, honestly. It's one of those great, you know, another one of those great studies of at what level of athleticism do we pass that experience threshold? Um, And it's not just the athleticism, but he's made some great plays at Kentucky too, especially in, well, in his last 12 starts, which is really what we're banking on. Perfect. All right. Frenchy, we need to move on now to a little bit of the secondary cornerbacks. Where are we going here? Uh, number one, I got Pat, Pat Sertain, Patrick Sertain, the second. You remember his father, who was also a Pro Bowl corner. Um, he, his technique is phenomenal. You don't see false steps coming from Sertain. And he has more than 250 press snaps than anybody else in this class, and it shows up again with his technique. The difference is he's a very good athlete. We might not be talking about a instant Hall of Famer, but we're talking about someone who steps in and solidifies a position on your secondary, which is pretty solid. And he's also the best tackler uh, in the class at cornerback, which is a big piece. And you also want to keep in mind with Alabama players that Nick Saban is the secondary coach. So you're not banking on them getting too, too much better because the coaching quality, no matter who you have, is going down. Number two player, J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Um, He probably had the two best games against both Kyle Pitts and Elijah Moore. Um, They were back-to-back weeks and went from six, six monster of an athlete to 5'8", speed slot guy, 5'10". And he had the best games against each of them for anybody. And so you got to respect someone who can move that fluidly from slot to size so quickly. The other thing that I will say about him that does hold him back a little bit for me is the fact that he is grabby. Um, And he got away with quite a bit of the hand grabbing and Um, Some of it he'll be able to keep getting away with, but I think especially the first year with him, you're going to have a lot of defensive pass interference pull up. Um, But he's physical. He's aggressive. He's very good in press coverage, and that's going to appeal to a lot of teams. 
but he is also just a pure man corner. Um, on the flip side, we have Caleb Farley at number three from Virginia Tech. He's got multiple back surgeries to his name. Otherwise, he was being talked about as a potential top 10 pick. But he's got tape speed. He's got tape 4-2 speed. I don't care what he runs at pro days. I can't see that man play and think he's not a 4-2 player. He takes false steps. And part of that is he's moving from high school quarterback, turned college wide receiver, then turned cornerback. So he's only played two years of corner. And false steps happen. He falls for double moves, but he has this elite speed that makes up for it. And there are so many sluggos that happen where you think he's too out of position and he just flies back and makes the play on the ball. He does have poor tackling. He sat out 2020, and then just a month ago, he had another back surgery. So that with some other season-ending injuries make him a difficult evaluation, but his talent when he's on the field, his athleticism and his developing technique and the combination of the two of them, I think makes him a really solid player to come as long as he is healthy, like you said. Right. All right, four and five. Four and five. At four, I have Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State. Um, He's 5'10", and some people are now calling that undersized, but I think he could play outside. But if he ends up a slot corner, you've got a really difficult position found. Congratulations. Um, He's pretty physical. He's an above-average athlete. He doesn't always make great plays on the ball. He's more shut down than turnover prone. But he's a sound tackler. He's really instinctual, especially an off-man, where I think he plays the best. Um, And he'll be able to offer you some inside-outside versatility. And my fifth player here is Ifiatu Melifonwu out of Syracuse, who's a legitimate 6'3 cornerback. He's long. He especially plays in cover three, and he does really well reading quarterbacks, setting himself up to make plays. He doesn't have the slickest of hips. He might move to safety, which is fine because he's physical and he's a strong tackler. But I think especially just as a matchup piece, being able to play safety, being able to match up on some of these bigger tight ends potentially, while also just having that traditional outside corner ability makes him a really talented and you know unique player. Excellent. Um, you know, a couple of these guys to me just scream instant, you know, playmaking and defensive changers. I don't know how you feel, Tom. Couldn't agree more. I think the top three is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I do worry about Horn with the with the pass interference, but maybe with some coaching he'll clean it up. Yeah, totally agree, and that's 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 what yeah, you're supposed to do, right? We hire all these coaches; they're making millions of dollars for a reason. Let's see, make some of these players better. That's your job. Yeah, don't don't be so grabby with the hands and. I don't know if he was the right player. So Making that, you know? but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Especially the position like that. Anyway, safety. We're going to move through pretty quickly because I think this is fighting and maybe leading uh, inside offensive line for a worse group in the draft. But number one, Travion Moerig, I think is a legitimate late one, maybe early two kind of player. Rangy free safety, though he's played slot and in the box. He's a little bit too aggressive at times. He gets out of control. Sometimes he bites on the play fake, but also in the run game. It causes him to take bad angles. Um, He's got some great instincts at times, bad instincts at other times. I guess that's how instincts work, right? Um, But he's got a lot of range. And when he's right, he's 
easily the best in the class. And number two, I have Richie Grant from uh, Central Florida, who at the Senior Bowl really showed off these man coverage skills we didn't always get to see during college. But he plays all over the field. He had 10 interceptions and seven forced fumbles, which I think speaks to his physicality as well as his playmaking on the back end. He's someone who's going to be used interchangeably. So for coordinators who like having a free and a strong safety that you can flip in and out, you know, he's definitely someone who will be for you. Ardarius Washington's my number three from TCU. Uh, same school as uh, my number one safety here. And they actually played a lot of that flip back and forth between the two. Washington really has one question. How is he going to translate on the defensive side of the ball at 5'8", 165? If you told me he was even 5'10", 185, he might be the number one safety in this group, and that's still undersized. He's a sound tackler, physical player. He's ball hawking. Even at his size, he elevates really well. Um, and the question is just how much is that size going to hold him up? And number four, I've got Javon Holland, who's – very much a box slot kind of guy. His coverage ability is really good, especially in those shallow areas, but he's not, he doesn't have the speed to really be that deep lone player. Um, dropped off a little bit, but the production's just not there for what you kind of expect for someone with his physical tools. And my fifth guy is Hamza Nisraldin. And the reason for that is um, he's someone who, I don't really understand what position he is. He's that box linebacker sort of guy, but he's got spectacular athleticism. He's 6'3", 225, 215, somewhere in there. That's how he plays. He's going to be able to deal with mismatched tight ends. He's somewhere between linebacker and safety. I would love to get him and JOK on a team together and just say fuck positions and not care about any of that, right? Um, safety's at linebacker, linebacker's at cornerback, and everything will work itself out. I just think he's a good player who has a lot of upside. He's only had two games in 2020 because of a 2019 ACL injury that happened in a non-contact incident. Um, so that's a, it's always a little more troubling when it's non-contact. That raises an extra eyebrow, so you do have to look into that. But he has a lot of athleticism, great size for the position, and some you know good coverage abilities that are still able to be built on. So, again, it's not the best class at the end of it. We're talking about a couple guys fighting in rounds three and four. Um, but you know, those are the top five guys is what they are. Yeah, and, and you, you did your due diligence on that, especially for, like you said, a class that's not all that great. But, guys, people have to know when they're, when they're seeing those names picked. I want to move on to the French favorites because I know this is – Exactly that, a favorite of yours. Um, so let's run through your mid-round sleepers real fast here. Man. Yeah, so let's jump into the let's jump into the sleepers right now, or your favorites, whatever you want to call them. Start off with your mid-round sleepers. Yeah, well, we do have my. It's the French favorites because I got to keep the alliterations going. Thank God I didn't have a name that started with T, or we'd be here for ten of each of these. <laughs> True. <laughs> So my mid-round sleepers, the first one I got is Quincy Roche. He's been the other guy at Miami through this process. He transferred from Temple, um, and he's been a little bit overshadowed from the other guys there, but he's got great quickness. Again, speeds of power and good use of hands to make that you know contact impactful. He pushes the guy back and is able to start using one of the many moves in his arsenal. He's got a great grip and rip to go through with. 
He was the AAC Defensive Player of the Year before he transferred to Miami, and he proved that his talent, it doesn't matter what conference he's in, he's going to show up. Um, he's most he's best as a pass rusher. He's probably going to be um, pretty solid as a run defender, but it's really just quick hands, quick mind, and speed to power that's going to be able to take him far as an edge. My number two is actually another cornerback from Syracuse, Trill Williams, who is also a starter for the all-name team. That he's is pretty sick. Thank you. A uh, few athletic invitations on this guy, and he's someone kind of like Nisrael Dean I was talking about at the safeties um, when Sean was asking those wonderful questions, who, again, could be used as a matchup guy across the field. So whether you've got, you know, a big slot or a tight end who's starting to find ways to get open, he's a legitimate corner who's got the ability to play wherever it is when it gets to these matchup points. I think his ball skills could use some improvement, turn some of these incompletions into interceptions, but he's got a lot of ability and a lot of matchup um, ability for teams as well. My third is Talanoa Hufanga from USC. Um, he's going to be the all-name team. Oh, yeah. He might be the captain. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's special teams. I think he's going to be Nate Abner. He will be a special team superstar day one and can do a lot of box safety work like Landon Collins. He's a bit smaller than Collins, but he plays that same sort of very physical brand. You're trying to find your spot in zones sometimes, but all you're really looking for is someone to hit. And Pufanga, kind of like Joseph Osai, always finds his way to the ball and finds his way um, to be involved in turnovers. And so you always just kind of have to appreciate someone taking on a lot of different roles who, you know, finds ways for the important things to happen around them. Um, my fourth player is Jalen Darden. Um, it's D-E-N, uh, D-A-R-D-E-N out of North Texas. He's a wide receiver. I feel weird calling him a sleeper because he's everyone's sleeper, um, but he still isn't getting enough respect before all this started. They said sixth round, and now they're like, well, he could probably be a fourth-round guy, and I'm screaming he's a second-round player every day. He's someone who takes every play to the house. It's a threat no matter what he does. He might be, the, aside from Waddle, there's an argument. He's fighting with Elijah Moore for best slot guy in this class. There's not a level of the defense that he can't win at, and he's deadly in the return game as well. Um, uh, he's the focal point, especially on a team like North Texas. Everyone's trying to stop the one guy who's good, right? Nobody stops him, though. He's that talented. And my fifth guy is Jordan Smith out of UAB, Alabama, Birmingham. Uh, he's an edge, and he's every bit of 6'6". Six, six. Uh, length is the strength, but he plays a very more legitimate edge. Even though he moves up and down the line, I think he's got enough burst to potentially stay at the edge with that length and get around, you know, even using some of that size. Now, he ends up at UAB because he was thrown out of Florida for a credit card fraud scheme you know, that happened a few years ago. And again, we're talking about some questions people will need to ask. But he's got a lot of production. Um, you know, 21 games at UAB, he had 89 tackles, 23 and a half sack, uh, tackles for loss, and 12 and a half sacks with three forced fumbles and an interception to his name. So he's impacted the game in a lot of different ways. He's got a lot of upside to come with that size. And, you know, the right coach is going to be able to unlock that into a really, you know, productive player. And there's a lot of other people who are in strange areas here. Walker Little was, 
you know, number two on big boards going into 2019, tore his ACL and sat out the season. So, you know, last we saw him, he was a potential first round pick, and that was more than two years ago now. Or Dylan Moses, Chris Rumpf is someone I've seen everywhere from seventh round to second round. And, well, I think he's definitely on the second round side of things. You know, he was pushing into that French five range earlier. Uh, he's a defensive end edge rusher out of Duke. Um, who just has some exceptional work with his hands and pretty solid bursts as well. So those are just some of the guys you can keep your eye out for in the mid rounds. You know, I'm talking rounds three or four. So any of those folks seem pretty impressive with you or uh, a little more enticing than others. I mean, I'm hyped on the wide receiver. Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, I think a wide receiver in the middle rounds is always a really attractive kind of player. Yeah, it, and Darden, God, he it's funny because every game feels like a highlight film for him because there's always one or two plays every game where you just go, wow, how did he make that happen? You know, and again, he's he's someone on the smaller side of things, but, you know, for the slot and with that kind of speed and, you know, ability to always get free, get open, um, his, his yak and especially – he offers a lot out of quick screens as well. And I know that we're starting to have fewer of those in college, but you know, they're still even at the red zone now being utilized quite a bit in the NFL and chiefs run a lot of wide receiver screen and just get him the ball and get him in space and let him work. He, he's something special. Your number one there, Roche interests me a lot too, just because of his accolades in the AAC before he went to Miami. He's got the quickness, he's got the power. And there's a lot of Miami talent on the on the defensive side of the ball, so he interests me a lot. Um, let's move to your late rounders here. Yeah, so these are guys who are going to be more rounds five, six, seven, maybe UDFA's. Um, but my top guy, Sean, I've been yelling at you about him since <laughs> 2019, uh, is wide receiver Cade Johnson. He's a mm-hmm. jackrabbit out of South Dakota State, um, and he he's Darden. He's Elijah Moore. He's um, you know, he's slower than Waddle, but he's got all the electricity of those same kind of guys. I think he's going to be a phenomenal receiver, especially in the slot. But even, you know, as he was playing outside against some, you know, potential picks, someone like, uh, you know, Robert Rochelle, who's going to find his way to the NFL. And there there are some talented corners coming out of this one double A, but it, it doesn't matter where he was. He gets open. He has such a great plant foot. He just so easily shifts his weight from one side to the change of direction. His in route is so strong. Um, he doesn't have the pure breakaway speed that Darden or Waddle does, which is why he's not going to get taken as high. But I think if you're asking me, you know, who might be able to do some of that Julian Edelman sort of things, Johnson has that kind of instinct to where he can just find ways to get open, but he's also a playmaker, get the ball in his hands, use him on the jet sweeps, use him in all, use him in the option game. South Dakota state did that really well. Um, finding ways for him to motion into the backfield and either take a pitch or a handoff and different things like that. Again, it's someone who the defense knows this is the guy to stop and nobody's able to do it. A second guy on this list is another wide receiver, Joshi Matorbebe. Uh, he's out of Illinois and he's a bit of a DK junior, you know, I, I got to give DK his credit for everything that he's become. I'm hoping, uh, Imator Bebe is going to be able to do the same thing. Absolute athletic freak. 
you know, plus 40 verticals for as long as I've ever seen him. And every corner he goes against has to respect some deep speed, but a lot of elevation. He makes 50-50 balls 60-40. And if you play a little bit wrong in terms of how you're using your leverage, you're going to end up posterized on it. He's going to get above you. You know, this is why corners have to keep that leverage. However it is you're going to play him, if you take one misstep, it doesn't matter about your speed or anything else because he's getting the ball higher than you. My third on this list is Alaric Jackson, the offensive tackle from Iowa, and he's been left tackle at Iowa for a couple of years now. And Wirfs was on the right, and everyone said, why couldn't he play left? Well, Alaric Jackson was on his left, but he's fallen pretty far. Um, he struggles to set vertically. It's just part of it. He doesn't have that quick twitch stepping outside. I think he would be really good moved into guard where he doesn't have to have such perfect twitch, um, but his mobility in the run game and the power that he has both as a pass protector and a runner could turn him into a pretty productive NFL player. My number four on this list is Shaka Tony, an edge out of Penn State, and he outproduced Owe this year by far. And he kept pace last year with Utah Gross Matos. And he was a starter next to both of them. While these other two guys who you know, might not have the same production keep going. Tony's relegated to rounds five and six. And I think he's going to be far more productive than that in the NFL. He's got a really good release. You know, I brought this up with Ojolari earlier and Joe Tryon. But the way that he gets off the snap is, um, you know, really impressive. He's got quick hands, um, but he doesn't always come to work with a plan. So once that plan is there and he's able to hit it, man, it looks good. But those counters, I think he needs. But um, I, he's someone I think the third phase of the game, special teams, you're going to be able to use him a lot there as well. You know, he's going to be a chase down guy. He's going to be punt, protect and chase. Um, he's going to find homes in other parts of the game. And my fifth guy on this is Patrick Johnson out of Tulane. He's an outside linebacker, sort of, but he's played all over the front seven and was their most productive player at every position. And I mean everyone, from nose tackle to middle linebacker, you know, edge end, Will, Sam, whatever it is. Um, I think he's going to be able to be in rotations because he can do so much, though he's probably best position outside linebacker, um, maybe edge Sam linebacker somewhere in there. He's going to find himself a spot in the rotation, but again, we're talking sixth round, fifth round type players. You're looking for someone who's going to also be effective in special teams. It's going to be spectacular there. And there's other guys, Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas, Trevin Grimes, big wide receiver out of Florida, Taron Jackson, Coastal Carolina, an edge player in that inside-outside mold, just some other names to keep in mind for the draft obsessed among us. Awesome, man. Kay Johnson and uh, Shaka Tony interested me the most out of that grouping. Tom, what about you? I like the wide receiver, uh, the DK Metcalf comp. Yeah, Max for Bebe. Yeah, Matt Bebe. That's what I'm gonna call him. Bebe. Bebe. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he's on the Jets, man. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, he'll, he'll, be be he'll be your new Bebe. Yeah, exactly. You guys ready to move into the first round mock? Let's do it, Frenchie. It's your 2021 official mock draft. You've had months to go over this, and now. Now uh, you're making it official, so are you ready for this? Yeah, I think it's my worst one yet. <laughs> uh-uh. I think you're going to be just fine. Let's lead us oh, off yeah. here. No right, trades, so. right? No trades, no trades. We don't do I, that I just, foo-foo lame shit here. 
there, there's too much to predict because then it's like you're not even just getting one thing wrong if a different trade happens at that pick. You know, now you've fucked up three teams by trying to force trades. So it's nothing that I'm going to do in this. And it means that some of the spots might not be perfect, but this is how the draft being as it is, I, I see it playing out. Very um, so fair. we start off at the top. Trevor Lawrence, uh, he just donated 20 grand to Jacksonville Charities when people started buying him stuff off of its wedding registry. Write it in Sharpie, laminate the card, throw it in a safe, Whatever you want to do, it's happening. It's over. Move on. Um, and number two, the Jets, Zach Wilson. Uh, if it can't be in Sharpie, it's at least in pen at this point. He's got a ton of upside. I think that just in terms of the fit with the Jets, the way he throws the deep ball is perfect for someone I loved coming out last year in Denzel Mims, who can just elevate on those deep passes. I think there's going to be some instant chemistry there. And also Corey Davis is someone who wins in the deep to intermediate level. Um, so I think that that's someone else who's going to work well with him. And the kind of mobility that he's going to show up with is going to fit the scheme. Plus that you know, deep accuracy that he's going to be able to bring threatens so much more on the play action than we've seen from players like you know Kirk Cousins who have been in the scheme. Yet another new era for the Jets. Can't wait. New era. Uh, number three, I've got uh, San Francisco taking Mac Jones. Um, Adam Schefter weeks ago says that it's happening. I'm going to believe Adam Schefter. Um, I think there's a lot more pressure on this team than we've been thinking and that pundits think. Uh, this is my belief is this is Shanahan's guy. I think some of the talk and the issues have been potentially Shanahan and John Lynch not seeing eye to eye exactly, but it's, I think Shanahan's got more sway. I think Shanahan has his guy and um, it, it's got to work with him or Shanahan's seat is about to get real, real warm, but it's an accurate, quick processing player. And what's the issue that Shanahan's had with other people screwing up his offense or Mike Shanahan had with RG three or I don't know, Mike LaFleur had with Aaron Rodgers. these athletic players screwing up their offense that works perfectly when a quarterback just goes in there and runs it. And you're never going to have that problem with Mac Jones. Mac Jones is going to go in there and run your offense. So um, I think that's, you know, a bit of why this is going to fit well with uh, Mac Jones in San Francisco. Crazy to think that a few months ago it was like, well, could he, I know he won the national championship, but is he a second rounder? Is he a mid first? Maybe the Patriots get him, And now, Adam Schefter and yourself have him at number three. It only takes one team to fall in love. Sure. We, say, we say it every year. It only takes one team to take a chance. And that's a lovely thing for some of these players to, to you know, hold out hope on. But it hurts that much when they all say no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Let's no, move on four. four through ten here, Frenchie. Yeah, so four through ten. At four, I've got Kyle Pitts going. Uh, Julio Jones getting a little bit older. That's fine. We just get new Julio, right? Um Huge weapon, and now without disrupting too much of the pecking order, Arthur Smith gets someone who's going to go in there and um, catch a lot of balls for him. It's very possible Atlanta scores 32 points a game and still goes three and 13, but are three and 14 now. But God, it'll be exciting. Matt Ryan's going to have so many weapons. If it doesn't work now, it's never working. Um, they still might be stuck with that contract, but. Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones. And, you know, they've put a lot of picks into that one. 
into that line, I, I think that they could still build something there. At five, and this might be a little bit of a shock, uh, I'm going with Jamar Chase. I think the Bengals punt on the tackles, especially given how deep the class is, and pair Joe Burrow up uh, with his old buddy Jamar Chase. It's one of those odd, deep classes that allows them to take the guy that they might really want. Um, Chase wins balls after they're thrown, so even if they have to go um, a little bit quicker from Burrow's hand than they want, um, he's got a trusted place to put the ball. There's been some rumors that Miami actually wants to move out of six, even though they moved out of three, up to 12, down to six. And those rumors have come about because Miami thought that six would guarantee them either Pitts or Chase. And so those rumors are also playing into you know this mock of where I think teams will go. You know, when there's talk of play, teams trying to move out of spots because they already know the picks ahead of them mean they don't get their guy, um, that's a bit of an indicator. Now, at six, I have the Dolphins going with Devontae Smith, uh, the wide receiver from Alabama. We just put Burrow back with Chase. Now we'll give two of Devontae Smith again. And Smith wins a little bit quicker um, than anybody else in the receiving core in Miami. They've got some guys who... You know, take deep routes and don't win immediately off the line of scrimmage. Well, Devontae Smith will give that to Tua, who's more of a quick twitch, quick processor, get the ball out early guy. Another piece with that is Kyle Krabs, who works with the Draft Network, who um, they have some great coverage as well if you're interested in their work. And I'm not even paid to say that. Um, he was on Big Blue View with John Schmeek talking about the Giants. <clears throat> and Krabs covers the uh, Dolphins. And the player he kept saying that would be available for the Giants was Jalen Waddell. And the reason he gave at one point was because he knows what Alabama receiver uh, the Dolphins prefer. And so if Waddell might be available for the Giants, it means that Devontae Smith is the Alabama receiver the Dolphins prefer. So if they end up stuck at six, that's where I think they'll go so long as the Bengals end up picking Chase. That's reading those tea leaves with that research right there, man. Absolutely. All I'm trying to do is educate the people. What, that's what my life is about. I do it for you. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate it. I've got the Detroit Lions uh, eating kneecaps. Micah Parsons, the linebacker. <laughs> uh, I can't think of many players who exemplify the sort of press conference Dan Campbell gave uh, more than Micah Parsons. I wrote here that after the pick, uh, Campbell and Parsons will celebrate by feasting on local knees, which are actually a delicacy in Detroit this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, at pick eight, the camp, the Carolina Panthers luck out, and Panay Sewell falls to them, the tackle out of Oregon. Uh, I think the kind of movement that he brings, along with that strength, um, makes him a perfect fit for the movement involved in Joe Brady's system. Quarterback is tempting, but Sam Darnold just cost them three picks, and even though it's only a sixth round this year, the two and the four next year does make it a little bit more difficult. And regardless of whether it's you know Darnold, Bridgewater, Sam Howell next year, or my boy Matt Duggan out of TCU, having Penesul is going to help whoever that quarterback ends up being. You know, even and if it's Darnold, it it'll be wonderful for him to uh, you know survive. Uh, at pick nine, I've got the Denver. Sorry, Broncos. Tom. At nine, it's I've right. got the Denver Broncos. New era, new era. <laughs> at nine, I have the Denver Broncos taking uh, Justin Fields, quarterback out of Ohio State. Drew Locke has been on this weird spot where it feels like he's about to be the starter, and then he throws three interceptions. If Locke keeps the job, wonderful, and they use their pick here, and they'll still get some value of it next season. 
Um, if not, then you've got the quarterback who's probably going to lead you, and I've got Fields graded higher than Locke coming out anyway. Um, I think that Vic Fangio needs some wins. But George Patton's a new GM. George Patton's going to go in and get his guy. And I think Justin Fields would make a lot of sense if that's what they decide to do, especially with the variety of weapons that the Broncos have at their disposal between Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton, um, and Jerry Judy. There's already a really good receiving core there. They've made some solid investments on an improved offensive line. You know, Drew Locke's got to, you know, either show up, but as Fields kind of falls to them here going to, you know, pick nine for what that's worth, I think that they would jump at that. Uh, and then at 10, I have the Cowboys taking Pat Sertain. Worst defense in the league. Big upgrade for them. Uh, Dan Quinn's coming over from Atlanta. Dan Quinn was originally, you know, back in the early 2010s, uh, which feels like a weird thing to say, but wow. Um, he was the defensive coordinator for the Legion of Boom. Uh, and, you know, their focus was cover three, cover one. And Pat Sertain can move from zone to man pretty easily. He's going to work across from Trayvon Diggs, who they got last year in the second round, which was a great pick for them. Um, again, Diggs is now getting into a little bit of uh, mischief, we'll call it. So hopefully it's nothing major and he'll be playing 16 games. But um, we have a long corner with a lot of experience, and that's the sort of thing that the Dan Quinn defenses love to have. So uh, Pat Sertain with the Cowboys wraps up my top ten. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, first of all, you said Asante Samuel Jr., and that made me feel definitely 30. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the Cowboys. Tom, what do you think uh, our Will Smith would think about that? Because that defense is got awful. I mean, they got a lot of weapons on offense as it is, so I think he'd be really happy with that to pair with Trayvon Diggs, who had a great year last year. Yeah, and again, it's – trying to find the perfect fit for that defense. But I think especially now, you know, regardless of Parsons is or isn't on the board, you know, the argument is there that Pat Sertain is the best defensive player and it's also at a position of need. So I think it's a perfect fit for the Cowboys. Yeah. I mean, there's Jerry is always going to be infatuated with yet another offensive weapon. They took CD lamb last year, but I think it would be almost, Dereliction of duty at this point if they don't go defense. Um, let's run through 11 through 15 here, um, starting with our New York football giants at 11. The New York football giants. At 11, I have the Giants uh, taking Jalen Waddle. We got there. Um, the talk has been about getting uh, O'Danny Boy a couple weapons, and there we go with another one. He's also the best returner in the class, which means that Deion Lewis, well, that's fine. Um he is probably going to be the only receiver for the Giants who's a legitimate yak threat. He's going to be able to get real yards after the catch. You know, everybody else is about getting to the catch point, and then you know that's about it. So um, this will give him someone who's going to be able to get some yardage beyond where the ball hits them. Uh, and I think it's a big upgrade for the receiving group that's already had an upgrade this offseason. At 12, at the Philadelphia Eagles taking J.C. Horn, the cornerback out of South Carolina. I'm not sure if you heard, but Nick Sirianni's playing rock, paper, scissors with some of the recruits to see how competitive they are. Um, it's a beautiful I, thing. I just received word J.C. Horn played 24 rounds of this, and that's why he's <laughs> going to be the pick. Uh, I think that Darius Slay 
with J.C. Horn is going to be a really strong and really aggressive uh, cornerback pairing. And the NFC East is starting to get a lot of weapons. And uh, Even though they struggle at a lot of other spots, the number of receivers appearing in the division for the rest of the teams there um, you know, might push the Eagles in this direction. Regardless, I think cornerback's a big need, and Horn's going to be a really good player. So um, the fit makes a lot of sense, and I, I love the idea of using the draft to already strengthen some strengths. The further down you move, the tougher it is to really try and just fit needs and say, okay, you're the guy for it. So the more times that you can do things like make a you know good position great, uh, all the better. But I'm about to change that motto. Uh, here at pick 13, uh, Rashawn Slater falls to the Los Angeles Chargers, who have the number one need of protect Justin Herbert. Please, please just protect him. Uh, Slater can play all five positions. So if they clone him, then they'll actually be all set. But otherwise, they've got a ready-made lineman who wherever they need somebody – um, Rashawn Slater is going to be able to fill in that hole. So you just take the weakest link and replace it with someone who might end up being uh, their strongest player. Although I believe Corey Lindsay signed there. So center's locked up uh, at 14. I have the Minnesota Vikings taking Jalen Phillips, the edge from Miami. Uh, that is one of the hottest seats in the league. In my opinion, Mike Zimmer is going to have an old defense next season where they need more pass rush. It's a bit of a swing with the medical issues we've talked about, but explosion and twitch at 6'5", 260, um, I think that's something that can really show up. And again, it's a bit of a, you know, it's it's a strikeout or a home run with Phillips, and that might be the risk worth taking when you've got to protect your job like Zimmer does. And then at 15, because the quarterbacks are going to slip a little bit with the draft like this, I've got Trey Lance going to the Patriots. Um, who, like we talked about, some accuracy issues, great legs. Cam Newton starts, Lance sits there and learns. They've got a pretty similar play style, a lot of you know running capabilities, and some struggles with accuracy. So there's not even a coaching change that would have to occur while this happens. Um, again, Lance made the offensive line calls in college. Uh, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after falling all the way to 15. He's all the sorts of things that the Patriots love. And I'm going to call my shot now. The Bills are going to play the Patriots in October. And McDaniel's going to have some 2QB formation. Fuck him over. I'm very excited for that game already. <laughs> I love that. Tom, anybody uh, in that grouping for you that stands out based off Frenchie's projections? I like Trey Lance going to the Patriots. I mean, obviously, I hate the Patriots, but... It'll be interesting to see how they develop uh, a quarterback since, you know, the golden boy has left. And I also like Slater. I, I think anything you can do to protect Herbert, you need to do it. Yeah, I, I think, again, it's really the pivot point in this draft for me is the Bengals because that could start the run on receivers. Or if, you know, they take Sewell or Slater there, well, then there's only one tackle left, and that could you know, really set off a chain reaction trying to put together offensive line. And again, I'm kind of going with some of the rumors here that they go wide receiver. Um, but either way that that goes, it could have a pretty big reaction for the rest of the draft. I'll save my Giants point for later when you give the entire Giants mock, but I just found it interesting that you have you know, Dallas at 10, Giants at 11, Philly at 12, and two of those, th all three you have going skills positions, and two of them going corners, and 
Philly taking Horn to put aside Darius Slay. Uh, you know, two aggressive corners, but man, that, that comment you made about the weapons in the NFC East is, is very strong, and it would probably be very important for them to go out and get somebody to maybe hold that back a little bit. Yeah, and I think Slater would be a fit for any of the three teams in the NFC East picking in that area, but um, it's just about, you know, where you think that they may go and the kinds of projections that they've got for those positions and you know, where they focus. Again, we'll talk about the Giants later on. I think that the the team thinks that their offensive line is a lot more settled than the fan base does. Uh, I think that the Cowboys line is falling apart, but if they're going to, you know, pay 40 million to Dak Prescott and do those things, he's got to make it work and they've got to do something about that putrid defense. Uh, And I think that with the Eagles, you know, you're looking at a team that has quite a few needs everywhere. Um, I think that Slater would make sense, but they've actually got some, you know, talent on the offensive line. Whereas, that defense, man, outside of Darius Slay, it just needs everything. Yeah, so, it, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, and I think J.C. Horn fits the kind of mold that that defense is uh, going to be playing this fall. So, again, the aggression and everything um, I, I think is going to work with what they're trying to build in Philly. Cool. Let's go 16 through 20. Same thing. Yeah, so 16, I that's where I have Caleb Farley going. I think he's either going to go into teams – or the late 20s, he's in this weird kind of range where it's like it, he either needs to be cleared or not. But as we said, it takes one team. Um, the Cardinals lost Patrick Peterson, who's in Minnesota this year. They need corners desperately, um, especially adding J.J. Watt and getting more pressure from the front. Uh, Isaiah Simmons should be coming along there. But he, you know, they say Farley's going to be ready to play and you know would be able to get out there and start doing things now. Uh, I don't think that they're actually in any sort of hot seat trouble potentially, but it is a team that feels like it needs that final push to get over the hump. And maybe it comes with some of the defensive upgrades that they've made because when Cliff got there, he really ignored some of those pieces. So making up some of that ground now and using the rest of the draft to be able to kind of uh, solidify some of the offensive pieces, I, I think would do well. But I will also never put it past the Cardinals. If there's a team looking to trade up and go get Jalen Waddle or something, I'm pointing right at the Cardinals because that just feels like what Arizona would do, doesn't it? It really does. At 17, I've got the Raiders taking Christian Barmore, the interior D lineman from Alabama. Now, there are some rumors they're trying to make moves up for a quarterback. Um, But, again, we're not projecting trades in this draft. Uh, The Raiders have a black hole. Uh, both the stadium and the center of that defense. And Barmore is going to be able to do that. Uh, they've got Max Crosby, a former fourth-round pick, who's been able to get you know pretty productive as a pass rusher. Cleveland Farrell, who's you know playing. Uh, Barmore is going to be able to free up some of the other elements there while also taking up you know, that center space. And you know John Gruden's an energy guy who thinks that he can get the best out of a player. And if you can get Barmore to have that extra element to where he'll be stout against the run, you know, we could be looking at a steal at 17, but it's making that last bit happen. Uh, at pick 18, I have the Miami Dolphins taking Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Uh, I've already spoken about how high I am with him, and that's a defense that really values versatility. It's a head coach that values versatility, and they get one of the most versatile players. The Dolphins are really putting together a pretty solid pass defense. They add that, and they get a physical leader who's going to be able to, you know, characterize that defense for what you would expect from 
someone who's going to um, really make a push for a division title here, which is what the Dolphins are trying to do at this point. Uh, at 19, uh, Washington football team is one of the tougher teams to mock right now, but I said that they went with Kadarius Tony, the wide receiver out of Florida. Tony's going to give Terry McLaurin a little bit of breathing room. He's going to have some jet sweeps. He's going to help Ryan Fitzpatrick or whoever else might be a quarterback there. Um, they need more weapons. Right now they've got a weapon at wide receiver, a weapon at running back, a guy who can catch touchdowns and make some plays at tight end, but it just feels like that offense is so reliant on one or two people making the right plays. Uh, I thought Kadarius Tony would offer them a lot of things similar to what Curtis Samuel did, who was with Ron Rivera in Carolina. So if he could do those same sorts of things, uh, you know, with Tony, I think that would be a boon for them. And then the bears who struck out with all the quarterbacks here at 20, uh, I have them taking Christian Darasaw, the tackle out of Virginia Tech, um, who might walk in there and be the best lineman on the Bears. Um, that's an offensive line that's reeling, and this is a player with all the physical traits that you could want in a left tackle. So uh, Andy Dalton will have a lot better protection, and the run game will get the better push if they you know, decide to start running the ball again. So that's my uh, 16 through 20. What stands out there to you, Tom? I like the wide receiver help in Washington. I just think that they need some more weapons out there for whoever's throwing them the football. Yep, totally with you. I think Farley stands out the most to me going to Arizona. I think that would just be such a great move for them because their offense is explosive, and you know Kingsbury's going to have a good offense, but uh, just make that young defense even better. So at 21, I've got the Colts taking Quiddy Pay, the D lineman from Michigan. And this is one where it's a guy who's just higher on the board and still fits something of a need, even though they've got some bigger needs at offensive line stuff. Um, Pay again sticks around here till, uh, you know, 21 because of that lack of production, but he's got the explosion and all of the sorts of tangibles that you would want. Um, so, you know, hopefully the Colts who just seem to keep putting together this long, slow build towards you know one of the most talented rosters that they've got they'll be able to address some of their other needs later on and take a great player here at 22 i have the titans taking rashad bateman the wide receiver from minnesota um again he's a bit of a replacement for Corey davis and that offense needs something that defense needs at this this roster has fallen apart here uh, but bateman's going to offer a lot of the similar sorts of things that aj brown does strong route running, strong possession, um, and they can both go on the edge or in the slot, so it'll offer a lot of versatility in that way, but they need more weapons, especially losing Jonu Smith. They lost their play caller, um, and they lost Corey Davis. And so, you know, between all those things, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown just aren't going to be enough. Um, at pick 23, the Jets, I've got them taking Aziz Ojolari, who was my number one edge out of Georgia. Um, gives them an instant upgrade on their pass rush. Again, we've got a deeper weapons group here, so they'll be able to address those needs later. Um, he's going to be ready for all three downs. Um, Seahawks fans are going to say that Jamal Adams is a better edge rusher, but, you know, we're past that. Um, <laughs> but Ojolari here is going to be able to come in, fill a need, free things up for Quinn and Williams, and just, you know, make that pass rush for the Jets a lot more formidable. 
At 25, I have the Steelers taking Najee Harris, the running back from Alabama. They need a running back upgrade. They need a running game upgrade. They've been vocal about how they want to change the running game, and then they let their running backs go. That, to me, screams we're taking a running back. Harris's physical style and that bruising size with it, I think that just fits Pittsburgh and the sorts of things that that city and that team wants to do. He's going to be a fan favorite. I don't know if he's going to get an Italian army or another kind, but um, he's someone who just you know, fits the sort of thing that they want to do. He's going to be a 20-touch-a-game you know, back for them. And at 25, uh, I have Pat Fryermuth going here, the tight end from Penn State. Uh, Jacksonville needs someone for, uh, for the golden child to throw to. The tight end coach from Penn State is now the tight end coach for Jacksonville. You know, these threads, I think, you know, pull through the league. I think he's the best red zone target that the Jaguars have the second that they draft him. Um, and I think that he's just going to be a good fit for the sorts of things that the Jaguars want to do in terms of getting him in a two-point stance, using some of the motions, spread it out, let him get some the quick hitters, um, and then give Trezor a legitimate red zone option. So that's where I got going through 25. I really like Quiddy Pettit to Indy, and I really like Najee Harris to Pittsburgh. Almost every draft has either Harris or ETN to Pittsburgh right now, so it makes a lot of sense. Yep. I'm loving the Jets pick. We finally could get an edge guy, which I've been dying to get for about four or five years. Well, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad I could do something like that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Maybe you'll be the one making the picks. <laughs> All right, Frenchie, let's round out the first round here uh, all all the way through 32. Yeah, sure. And then after 32, I do have uh, picks for the first for the first four picks for the four teams uh, who don't have first round picks. Well, so I'll hit those after at 26 at the Cleveland Browns taking Joe Tryon, the edge out of Washington. Now, this gives the Browns a real speed rusher to be across from Miles Garrett. They've just signed Clowney for a year, um, but Clowney really has shown his skill as a uh, run defender. And it's also going to let Clowney rush from the inside where he's been more successful. And adding to that edge group in Cleveland, I think it's going to be really valuable for them, especially since free agency has filled a lot of their, you know, very few needs and what's turning into one of the most talented rosters in the league. Uh, at 27, I have the Ravens taking Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard from USC. Um, their offensive line needs some upgrades. I'm not sure if they'll have Vera Tucker play guard or tackle, but I know he's going to improve whatever spot it is. He's got a lot of mobility. He'll be used pulling no matter what position he's at, and that I think fits really well with the Ravens' scheme involving so much misdirection. At 28, I have the New Orleans Saints taking Elijah Moore, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. Um, They need help for whoever's going to be under center. I think Moore gets a lot of easy completions for your quarterback. Um, If it's Taysom Hill, you're going to be able to do jet sweeps, options, all sorts of things like that. If it's Jameis Winston, you've got the fastest downhill speed guy on the team already right there. Um, He's a bit of a slot specialist, but he's got a variety of routes and especially with some motion, is going to be able to play on the outside there. And that motion is going to be key because it keeps the press off him. If it wasn't for Devontae Smith, um, Moore probably would have won the uh, Blitnikoff Award. Now, I will also point out that in 2019, 
Elijah Moore lost the Egg Bowl for Ole Miss after he scored a touchdown with seconds remaining to tie it. Oh, he was the one with the penalty, right? Yeah, he got the penalty for pretending to be a dog and pissing on a hydrant. Yeah, I can't do that. that, It moved the extra point back 15 yards, and the kid missed it. Um, Now, he's talked about that as a pivotal learning moment in his life, and um, you know he's brought that up before, and Lane Kiffin raves about the kid. But again... I like to put all of the information out there so people can make their own decisions on it. At pick 29, I have the Green Bay Packers taking Tevin Jenkins, the tackle from Oklahoma State. Um, you know, they, their offensive line needs a little bit of work. Aaron Rodgers has talked about being unhappy. Uh, the Packers don't draft wide receivers here, so I'm not going to pretend that they will, but this is a way to improve the situation for Rodgers. Again, this is someone with some uh, versatility between guard and tackle, so either way, he's going to help out with what Rodgers needs, and he's going to be a grinder in the run game, which is what LaFleur really focuses his attention on. At 30, I've got the Buffalo Bills taking running back Javante Williams from UNC. Uh, we all watched that playoff game. What did Josh Allen have 50, 60 throws? They need to be able to hand the ball off to someone and, you know, pissing away third round, fourth round picks on running backs who, you know, just don't seem to have it in Buffalo isn't working out. Williams, I think, would work really well in Buffalo because that balance and power combination is going to be really important in Buffalo Decembers, which um, is why I went with Williams over someone like ATN, who's more of the burst speed player, which isn't as reliable in, you know, six inches of snow. Uh, Pick 30. So if uh, our listeners aren't aware, because, you know, they were listening yesterday, uh, the Ravens now have pick 31 as they traded Orlando Brown and future picks for pick 31 and future picks. Um, so pick 31 is now with the Baltimore Ravens, where I have them taking Harris Marshall Jr., the wide receiver out of LSU. He's a tall receiver in a class of a lot of small receivers. Great leaping ability. He goes high points the ball well. Someone else who's on the taller side but has worked out of the slot so he can do a little bit of inside-outside. This isn't a team that's been able to recruit receivers there. We watched you know, Juju Smith-Schuster turn down, what was it, 13 or $14 million for a year to get mm-hmm. eight Pittsburgh. Um, they're not going to be able to recruit receivers to go play there. It just struggles. You're going to struggle doing that when you have a roster like this. So you got to do it when you're not going to have to recruit, and that's by drafting them. He's going to bring an element that they need. Now, I will say, um, as a question, you know, in terms of ethic with Marshall, I think it's pretty easy to know when the ball is coming to his way based on how he releases and runs the route. He also uh, only runs off corners. He never blocks corners when it's a running play. So just something to think about as teams are going through these processes, the sorts of um, things that they might be scouting character-wise in someone's game. And at 32, I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking Jason Oway, the edge from Penn State. Um, the team's got everything. What do you get them? Another pass rusher who's going to develop. He's raw. He's long. He's athletic. He's all those things. Um, his profile and fit are somewhat similar to Jason Pierre-Paul, who's going to you know, be there with him and work as a perfect mentor for the sorts of things that Oway's going to have to learn. So I think the Bucks, who you know, every team can use another – impressive and athletic edge rusher are able to put him in a situation where he's able to succeed and just have those moments um, when Todd Bowles can scheme for him. And so to move into uh, the second and for the Texans, the third round, just to wrap up these last four teams without first round picks, 
Uh, actually, three of them are in a row. So at 56, I have the Seattle Seahawks taking Hunter Long, the tight end from Boston College. Um, I think it's a great way to smooth things over with Russell Wilson, get him more weapons and help the running game. Um, Hunter Long, you know, he was a high-volume guy who was also able to work in line as a tight end. Uh, Metcalf and Lockett, they're going to be able to go deep and get all those uh, targets and especially all that attention from the defense. I think having someone like Hunter Long, who's got a little bit of that feel, even if he doesn't have great athleticism, um, that's somebody who's going to be able to you know, pick apart some of the soft spots in the defense as the top gets taken off. Uh, at 57, I have the Rams taking Richie Grant, the safety from UCF, Central Florida. And again, that's multiple needs that you can fill with one player. He's someone who plays in the slot, plays in the slot, plays in the box, plays in the box, plays single high, single high. Uh, why am I doing this? Uh, after John Johnson the third went to the Browns for safety, they need someone who's going to be able to play a lot of different roles like Johnson was able to do for them. And he's also got really good ball skills. And Jalen Ramsey taking away part of the field or one of the receivers is only going to make someone else's ball skills look even better because, you know, you're taking away options from the quarterback. At 58, I have the Kansas City Chiefs taking wide receiver from USC, Amon Ross, St. Brown. Um, receiver's a little bit of a sneaky need in Kansas City. Um, I think we've seen some very questionable hands from Chiefs receivers. Like, I don't know, February, there was a game. Um, and Mahomes did some <laughs> spectacular things um, that turned into drops again and again and again. Amon Ra Brown has exceptional hands and great footwork. And the two of those things, and he was a slot specialist in college at six foot one. I think he's, you know, probably more in that Jefferson mold, where it's going to turn out he can play wherever. Uh, I think that the foot quickness that he displays, the route running ability, is going to lead to some quick wins for Mahomes. And again, most importantly, he has some really short hands. And Dude, then that, I was just going to say, in that offense, and he can use that skill set plus having the sure hands. I mean, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Chiefs are not a team that says, okay, what's the weakest part on our team so we might make it a little bit better? They know what their strength is, and they lean into it. And Personally, I like that strategy, um, and I appreciate that because it turns in for some exciting football. And then the last pick that I had to make was uh, the third pick, of the third round for the Houston Texans, whose first two picks in this draft are with the Dolphins for the Laramie Tunsil trade. <laughs> and I have the Texans taking Peyton Turner, the defensive lineman from Houston, of all places. Um, this is a team that needs a bit of everything. Depending on the quarterbacks available, that might happen. Kellen Mond and Davis Mills might be gone by now. It's possible. Um, you know, There's a lot of talk of the two of them being in that second, third range somewhere. Turner's a bit of a hometown prospect, but more importantly than that, he's a run stopper and he can be a pass rusher on the interior. And that's the sort of thing that Texans fans have been able to see for years. Now, Turner is a round two, round three kind of guy. You know, we're not expecting J.J. Watt to pop up here, but it's someone who's going to be able to have that positional versatility and is something that Lovey Smith's defense is going to need. Just solid football players who are able to make an impact. Um, and he's someone who character-wise you're not going to miss on. He's someone who's got a really high motor, um, who's willing to do what it takes to win for the defense, and is able to bring a little bit of versatility and strength 
And at 67, I think being able to get a character and a person like that, in addition to the player um, that you're going to be drafting, is going to be pretty crucial for the Texans. I think that matters. I was just one more thought on Kansas City. And then, uh, Tom, I want to get your take on that whole grouping because that's a lot. I, I was just thinking now you got, you went and upgraded your offensive line tremendously, and now you're going to use that pick that is all the way further back on a sure hands wide receiver. I mean, talk about upgrading a strength already. Tom, what did you hear that Frenchie brought out there that really caught your eye? For me, it was Tampa Bay taking another edge rusher, just sharing themselves up for next year. Um, I really like that move, and he's going to have the ability to grow behind a couple really good edge rushers that they already have. Yeah, and part of that with me is it, it just leads to that seamless transition on the outside there. Doesn't matter, and this is what I think is you know so fascinating with the Bucks is tons of adversity might come apart, people come down, but Tom Brady just writes the ship and makes it happen, and you know always going to be one of those people who needs a bit of mentorship and encouragement in all of its forms because that's what happens when you're a developing player who's still relatively new. Um, so a team with that kind of leadership and that kind of model, I think, could really bring out the best in him. No doubt about it. I think anybody that goes to a team like Tampa, just like New England before when Tom Brady was there, just automatically gets better just for being there. Yep. All right, which, uh, which team do we want to do first, Jets or Giants? I think we got to lead off with your New York football Jets. All right, let's yeah, pull up my the thought. seven. Ten, uh, ten, ten picks in this draft. Buckle up, yeah, ladies means- and gentlemen. Jets are already winning. They've got more picks. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, go ahead, French. Yeah, so I was going to, you know, just to recap, at pick two, I've got Zach Wilson and the talent. Wilson to Mims is going to be great. Um, I didn't bother with alternate selections at number two because I'm not going to waste my time. No. Um, but as, you, as I always do when I do our seven round mocks, I do give some alternate selections. Uh, at 23, I have Azizo Jolari, the edge. You know, we just spoke on him, but I think that's going to be, you know, a spot where the Jets need to look for some talent because they're lacking it right now. Jordan Jenkins isn't always the answer, is it? No. Um, they're going to be judged a little bit, you know, there by wins. Any team will, and he's going to lead to more wins than potentially taking some of the other positions would be. But for alternative selections to look at, I think Kadarius Tony and Najee Harris would both fit some of the other needs there um, for the team. At 34, I have Rondale Moore, the wide receiver from Purdue. Now, Joe Douglas, especially in the earlier rounds of the last draft, took some more, you know, freakish measurables and athletic uh, individuals. And Rondale Moore doesn't have the measurables in the sense of height. He's definitely on the shorter side of things here. Um, But what he does have is otherworldly speed and also, you know, over 40 inch hops. Um, So he can go down and then he can get it even at five, nine, you know, 175 180 whatever he's at um i think he's someone who could bring that extra dimension of speed to the passing game um and as well as the size that they've already gotten Corey davis and denzel mims you know and just as an example you're running that you know roll out from the opposite way that the fake zone was coming that's so constant in those lafleur and shanahan offenses and now you've got more on a shallow cross with his 4-3 speed. You've got Corey Davis running his typical intermediate route. And then you have Denzel Mims heading deep, 
you know, with his six four and leap, uh, frame with its leaping ability, I think that just that spells trouble for defenses, and that's the sort of way that you would want to build a team. And so some alternate selections there. I have Jamin Davis, the linebacker from Kentucky, you know, shoring up the middle of that defense with someone who's just got a ton of athleticism. Or Jalen Mayfield, a tackle with guard potential, um, who's going to be able to help continue to shore up that offensive line for whoever's that quarter, quarterback there. I like any of those picks. I would like another wide receiver to give Wilson as many options as possible. Oh, don't worry. They're coming. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to move on to 66 and 86? Yeah, so 66, I have Tommy Tremble, the tight end from Notre Dame. Again, he's a very good blocker, best blocking tight end in the draft. But also those quick rollouts and quick hitters, you know, with his straight line speed especially, he's going to um, bring a little bit of speed and a little spacing in addition to the physicality that he's going to have uh, blocking. Some alternate picks, Nico Collins, another a, you know, big and long wide receiver, as well as Walker Little here at tackle. Uh, if you really wanted to try and shore up that spot across from Becton, but Little really is a tackle only prospect at six seven. And then at pick eighty six, I have Paulson Adebo, the cornerback from Stanford. Um, you know, as high as I am on Hall from the fifth round last year, he needs someone away from him. And Robert Sala is coming from San Francisco again in that cover three sort of scheme, a little bit of cover one, and Adivo can slip between that man and zone sort of uh, element there. He's got a lot of length, which is critical in these sorts of defenses and a history of playmaking, eight interceptions in 22 games. Um, but again, it's a, someone who 2018 was great looking to a first-round pick. 2019 has an injury, 2020 opt-out. So how are you going to you know look at someone like this? Um, he's someone who is you know slipping a bit because of those things similarly to walker little but i think he'd be a really good uh round three pick for the jets to you know add another playmaker on the defense Couple hey frenchy of- before you move off i want to get both of your guys thought frenchy you as the expert and tom as the resident jets fan here is any chance uh we see a little richard sherman in new york with the robert sala ties i'm surprised it didn't happen yet same here. That was my thought when you're talking corner and I'm like, everything you were just talking about, I'm like, so can we get some Richard Sherman? At what, Tom, would you would you be all in on, on bringing him in and drafting another corner? I would because I think he's, he's a professional and he's going to be able to mentor anybody uh, that comes into the locker room, especially somebody that plays his position. Um, but with the with the 66 pick, I would like to see them take Little out of Sanford. I think we need to shore up that offensive line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's pretty fair as well. You know, it's just trying to figure out, do we go weapons, do we go line, and balancing all of those pieces out. But you know, they made a lot of plays last year on the offensive line that you know have improved it. Like you said, still needs some shoring up, and it's just kind of balancing out what it is that people do or don't need. You know, I also have pick 86 for some alternate ones. Aaron Banks, the guard out of Notre Dame, a really powerful, solid player. Um, or if, you know, they haven't gone with a wide receiver yet, Dayami Brown, the wide receiver out of UNC, is an exceptional deep threat, over 20 yards of reception there. Um, and he's someone else who plays with a lot of power. I just want to skip to pick 146. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> Well, at least let me go through uh, 107. I have Anthony Schwartz, the wide receiver from Auburn. Um, they need weapons. I'm I'm flooding them with weapons. Um, 
they came in with size, they will leave with speed. So Schwartz is arguably the fastest player in the draft. Um, he set the world record for the U1800 meter dash, and I believe 200 as well. Um, so we're talking world-class track speed here. So Zach Wilson's deep ball and that much speed, I think, would be a great mix. Some alternates here. Again, running back still possible, someone like Trey Sermon, and then tackled Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa possible. Um, and now the babyest of all the baby boys, uh, Chuba Hubbard from uh, Oklahoma State at 146. Uh, Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur, all of them come from places where running backs don't go all that high. Mike LaFleur's seen Kyle Shanahan use running backs that go mid, late, or even undrafted. And so I think someone who's played out of the shotgun, who's run a lot of zone running schemes out of the shotgun and is best when you're able to make one read, one cut, and then just go is going to be the sort of guy who's perfect for the Mike LaFleur offense. And that's someone in Shuba Hubbard, who I think would be a really natural fit in the sort of offense that comes with um, LaFleur as well as a quarterback like Wilson as well as some alternate selections of Noah Gray, tight end out of Duke, and Dalen Hayes, the edge out of Notre Dame. But I know Tom wants to talk about something else now, not alternate selections. Tom, are no. your pants still on or not? Uh, I've already ordered the Ally Express Chuba jersey. <laughs> I got a two-for-one deal with the Zach Wilson. Well, I, I honestly think that he would be a great fit, and it fits perfectly with both the – sorts of strategies and histories that these coaches and um, executives come from, in addition to the play style that goes along with what's already being built there. I couldn't I, agree I, more. I, I think this is, would be a really good fit for the Jets. Let's just hope it comes to fruition. I'm going to email this mock to um, to a couple of guys I got in the organization. A couple Please, of sources. I, look, I look forward to hearing from them. I am a bit. <laughs> for the right price. <laughs> I'll CC you. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> let's keep it going. Uh, let's keep it going. At pick 154, I've got Josh Ball, the offensive tackle from Marshall. Um, he fits that Mackay Becton mold, six foot eight, and a mauler. He's not quite as nimble as Becton was, but he is developmental. Um, you know, we're talking pick 154 here, not 11, right? Uh, he's going to be a matchup problem for edge rushers. Even when he gets bit with speed, uh, he can just reach or lunge if he really needs to uh, and stop people from getting around the edge on him. And he stands up strong in the run game, which is good and bad. I'd love to see him play with a little bit more Everett, uh, leverage, difficult as that is at six foot eight. But at six eight, he's also you know able to just toss guys on their back. Um, and I think he's someone that at this point in the draft, you can um, look at probably wouldn't end up on the practice squad, but as a backup, potentially a swing and someone who I also think could come in. We get to those goal line situations. Let's just get behind the giant men and push um, some alternate picks here. William Bradley King edge out of Baylor with good bursts and Kenny Aboa the tight end out of Old Miss, who's really good slot speed. Um, at 186, I have Trey Brown, the cornerback from Oklahoma. He played outside at Oklahoma, but he's more of a slot player in the NFL. Um, the Jets do have some you know, slot options already, but 
we need depth. He's also got mirroring skills and press coverage abilities that I think would also be really good on punt return um, and be someone who could work on special teams as well. Uh, Taron Jackson, the edge from Coastal, and Drake Jackson, inside uh, interior lineman from Kentucky, uh, center down there, I think would also be some good picks. And my last pick for the Jets is a linebacker named Garrett Wallow out of TCU. Uh, he started off as a safety, but as I pointed out, there's some pretty good safeties coming out of TCU this year. He's a pretty physical playmaker who finds his way into the backfield rather quickly. He's got really good instincts and shallow pass coverage. You know, that curl flat, that or, uh, hook curl, playing in the flats, all those areas. He's still working against the run, but he is a very good tackler. Working against the run, his bigger issues are reading the linemen in order to get to the right place quicker than it is actually making the stop, which is another reason I think that he could possibly be an all-four uh, special teamer, in all, uh, rather a core-four special teamer. Rakeem Board, running back Arkansas, Christian Uphold, safety Illinois State, other guys um, potentially at this point who can fill in rotational roles as well. Tom, how excited are you? Uh, I'm pumped about this draft. I, I think there's a lot of weapons to be had, and I like that Frenchie has us going out and getting a few of them. Um, I would like that that offensive tackle, aside from that, uh, at pick 66. Aside from that, that's my only gripe. I love it. And, and I don't know if you actually think they're going to take Chuba or you just did that for me, but either way, I'm going to go with it. I, I, I think that he's a perfect fit, and I, given the history of – uh, organizations that Joe Douglas has worked for his draft last year and given the history of uh, Kyle Shanahan's group and you know LaFleur even though LaFleur's brother took AJ Dillon in the second round I hope that he's going to be the smart brother and not do such absurd things um, that end up not working out because then you have to sign the Aaron Jones for you know over 10 million dollars anyway even though you just took a second round pick at his point neither here nor there um i, I think cuba hubbard is a really good pick and you know like you said at 66 swapping out walker little for tommy tremble and then you know swapping out josh ball for kenny yaboa there you know again if that's the way that the jets see their team is you know we still need to build more on the offensive line before we keep indulging at playmakers i think that's absolutely another way that you know this could go again this is why I think it's important to have these alternate selections because different people are going to look at this team with an eye towards various needs being more needy or, um, you know, more uh, stacked, I suppose, um, than other spots. You know, for me, it's how, while trying to set up the defense, how do we get Zach Wilson to succeed the most? And, um, you know, just trying to work through that, especially with, uh, you know, where's the value in the draft? That's a big part of it, too. And I think, if you know, either way would be a great selection for the Jets. I think um, coming out with a group like this where you've got, I don't know, at least in addition to Wilson, you've got three immediate impact, three or four immediate impact, impact playmakers um, and then two starters on the defense, I think, is a pretty good start, though. Um, you know, everything does start up front. So if the priority is offensive line, I don't think there's anything wrong with that building either. Yeah, I just absolutely. think it's great that the, I was Go just going to say, Sean. I think it's great. The Jets have 10 picks. I mean, yeah. the, the likelihood of the majority of those players panning out 
obviously the more picks you have, the more opportunities you have for those players to turn out to be playmakers for you, whether it be immediately this year, down the road this year, or, or heading into 2022, 2023. I think it's just an exciting time to be a Jets fan. I mean, obviously the mock that you had, I'm not a Jets fan, but I'm just looking at it from the Jet fan perspective. I'm like, man, this is this could change our entire course of our franchise. Yeah, I mean, you're just starting off. The, you're supposed to at least pull out three starters real quick in those first three spots, and then trying to figure out who can contribute and how after that. I think, you know, we're just looking at thousands of snaps that are going to be filled for the Jets in this draft, and that's a hell of a position to be in, especially with the massive upgrade that you made at coach. Um, you know, it, it's a good time to be a Jets fan. It's a good, it's a good turn. New era. New era. Of- yeah, you got the and and Tom, you got your Knicks winning, uh, and this is uh this could be the dawn of a new era for you. Don't can take we, my Knicks fan from me. Can we can we uh, <laughs> can we just turn the the Yankees around a little bit? At least they won <laughs> again. To, at least they won again tonight. So that's two in a row and three out of four. So that's true. There's that. To start, let's talk about the New York Football Giants, Frenchie. Um, you mentioned Jalen Waddle at pick eleven. Um, that made a lot of sense. I kind of want to talk about this slot with you for a couple seconds, if you don't mind, because they're kind of in this really cool position of you can take the best player available because of what they did in free agency. I mean, they, they got Rudolph, they got obviously Galladay, they signed Jackson to play corner. Their defense was the main contributor to what they were last year. So right now you're in a position you mentioned before about how they believe their offensive line is better than a lot of the fan base believes the offensive line is. They addressed it heavily last season in the draft. Nate Solder's coming back as a swing tackle. Uh, you have Jalen Waddle here. Is that simply just because he's the best player available at this position for you on the board? Or is it that let's just make a wide receiver, let's, let's make a offense even better because Danny Dimes is going into that crucial year three? Yeah, so at this point, uh, when I was doing this mock draft, I had uh, Waddell, Slater, and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, all the uh, same graded guys, all towards that top group. Um, but I went with Waddle because I think it fits what the Giants are trying to preach right now, which is trying to get weapons. I think that while on the outside a lot of fans think that tackle is still a question mark, I think that Matt Parrott is going to be starting at right tackle next year and that that's rather settled. And uh, Andrew Thomas is going to be the starter. And Nate Solder came back on the cheap as a swing tackle. And I feel like they've, you know, they're thinking, yep, we've got our three tackles there. I think um, at guard they signed Kendall Fulton. Uh, as someone who started quite a few games uh, over the past few years. Uh, and was it Kendall Fulton? Fulton. Anyway, um, so they got another you know, swing guard uh, who I think is Zach Fulton. Zach Fulton. So they got Zach Fulton who started you know, dozens of games. Uh, who's also going to, you know, be in that rotation with Hernandez and Lemieux. And while the talk is Hernandez lost the job and whatever, I'm also a Rangers fan, and I watched Mika Zabinijad struggle for weeks, if not months, after he got COVID. So hey, hey, we don't Hernandez- talk hockey on this spot. I'm going to have to cut that out. All right, I'm right back to it. So they expect <laughs> Hernandez. <laughs> 
to just bounce back from COVID and immediately start playing every snap again, I think is a little unrealistic. And that he, you know, we very melt. I think that the Giants look at their line and see Thomas Lemieux, Gates, Hernandez, and Parrot, and think we're set. We're young. We're going to keep building here, and maybe we'll take a little bit of depth along the way. But it's not a need for us. We can kind of take the guys who are there, add another player, maybe, but. Um, you know, I think they're looking at this saying we've got a great young offensive line with an average age of, you know, 23, where Will Hernandez is the veteran among the group. Um, you know, Will, also Nick Gates, uh, who's going into year two at center. And, you know, I think that Dave Gettleman is pretty satisfied with this line. He just wants them to grow. And you also see that in the amount of coaches that they put towards this. I mean, they hired Rob Sale from Louisiana Lafayette. Um, who was the offensive coordinator there. He's now the offensive line coach for the Giants. They also um, hired Pat Flaherty as an offensive line consultant, in addition to having Ben Wilkerson as an assistant offensive line coach, and with Joe Judge having been hands-on with the offensive line last year, and with having Freddie Kitchens move to the senior offensive assistant role instead of the tight end coach, which will allow him to, it's basically one coach for every offensive lineman at this point. So I think part of that is because they're saying, these are our guys. Now we have to make them work more than it is. Keep getting new bodies in here. Mm -hmm. So with that, then it comes down to Jalen Waddle or Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Daniel Jones evolution, I think is, you know, one of the more important things, in addition to the fact that Jalen Waddle adds a dimension, especially with the ball in his hands that is currently missing from every giant except for Saquon. Right. So, you know, if Barkley comes back hindered at all, you know, we have nobody um, for the Giants who's going to be able to make a play after the catch. And so I think Jalen Waddle not only, you know, is arguably the best player on the board. He's in my top three, um, but he does fill something of a need and fit the kind of uh, environment that the Giants are trying to continue to cultivate and fit the sorts of things that they've been talking about this offseason of, you know, getting weapons. Makes a lot of sense. And to me, like, why would you stop now? Right. I mean, you already brought in Galladay, spent a lot of money on him more so than a lot of executives thought they should have. You bring in Rudolph. Tom, what do you think of this pick that Frenchie has with Waddle here? I think it's best player available for the Giants. And I, I just think, I mean, I, I don't want to bring up Sam Darnold, but I think you're in the position that the Jets were a year before and you're going to do, a, I think the Giants are going to do a better job and already have done a better job of giving him all the opportunity in the world to prove that he is worth that second deal. And he was worthy of the, the the lottery pick that they used on him. Yeah, I agree. All right, glad we're all agreed. So where do they go from here? Uh, at pick forty-two, they fill what might be the biggest need left in terms of there being something of a gap here in uh, Joseph Osai coming over from Texas as an edge rusher. Again, we have the kind of versatility that's so important in a defense that's being run by Patrick Graham um, and. Osai played a variety of roles there, but Edge is really his home. Um, the high motor fits all of the Joe Judge upside, you know, preaching. He's not going to be afraid to run a lap if he jumps off the snap too quickly or something. Uh, and the kind of athletic upside that he has being relatively new to the position and somewhat raw 
fits with Dave Gettleman's draft history. Um, you know, Gregory Rousseau is someone else who could be considered here, as well as Alex Leatherwood, the tackle uh, from Alabama. At 76, I've got the Giants taking Pete Werner, the linebacker out of Ohio State. Uh, he's someone who's very good at damn near everything. He's got a lot of range and is pretty good as a coverage linebacker. He doesn't have a ton of strength, some shortcomings against the run. Um, but again, we're talking third round here. And if you're able to do something like bring in a linebacker who can improve your pass defense at the third round, I think that's a pretty good um, you know, strength to improve upon. And also having a coverage linebacker here would allow Blake Martinez to be able to blitz more, um, which was one of his strengths in Green Bay. Uh, some alternative selections here, Quincy Roche, the edge from Miami I talked about, as well as Aline McNeil, the interior defensive lineman uh, from NC State. At 116, I've got Ben Cleveland, the guard from Georgia. Um, they always take players from Georgia. It has to happen again, right? So, again, adding to, adding to the depth, we've got someone who's a mauler in the run game. Um, we're talking about 340 pounds. He tries to bully linemen, another kind of break-your-ego lineman. He doesn't get bull rushed. He reads stunts well, lots of communication. Not a lateral athlete, but, again, Shane Lemieux is someone else who falls into that not-a-lateral athlete category, and he's someone the Giants moved at in the mid-late rounds. Um, and so this is probably the most vulnerable part of the offensive line. So that's why I think the Giants might want to add a little depth here in the fourth round, especially if they continue to have the offensive line rotation. Some alternative selections here, Israel Mukuamu, the 6'3 corner from South Carolina, or Chris Rumpf, the edge rusher uh, from Duke. And then with the last two selections at 196, uh, Bobby Brown third, um, Dave Gettleman's an addict. And he hasn't taken a defensive lineman in too long. Just some of these outside edge guys. He needs a big boy in the middle. Um, so Bobby Brown, the third, comes in, 6'4", 320, who's got explosion. He swats a lot of balls down. Um, and, you know, there's potential for someone with the right special teams mind to turn that into uh, blocked field goals as another way of trying to utilize him there. Um, good explosion. For a 6'4", 320, not great in pass rushing, but more occupying space with good reaction in order to swap passes down. But again, someone who can find a potential role in the sixth round here. Again, alternative selections. Shaka Tony somehow is being mocked this late. Every time I look, he's somewhere in the late 100s, early 200s. Um, and then Shakira Brown from uh, Michigan State, another press corner who might be able to work on special teams as well. And then my last pick for the Giants, Elijah Mitchell, the running Mitchell, the running back from uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Again, the Giants last year spent a lot of draft picks on players that they have connections to the coaches there. Rob Sale, new O-line coach, came from Louisiana Lafayette. He's got a lot of balance as a runner. He shrugs off arm tackles. He's got soft hands as a receiver. Not a lot of experience as a blocking back. Um, that can change, but also Devontae Booker, I think, is going to spend more time in that role as the backup running back. He's got a downhill style. Uh, in his career, he's got 44 touchdowns and 4,000 yards, and he spent almost all of it in a three-back rotation. And that kind of downhill style is the sort of thing that helped Wade Gallman step um, and replace Barkley as best as anyone could with that downhill presence of always trying to fall forward and press the hole. 
Um, and again, some alternative picks here, Larry Jackson, the tackle from Iowa, uh, and then Michael Strachan, the wide receiver from Charleston, six, five, six feet. Um, he's someone that the Giants are reported to have had quite a bit of contact with in terms of interviews. So um, just something else to put out there. Amazing, man. Tom, what do you think of that whole Giants list there? I think you're bringing in guys that, I mean, especially in the late rounds, which really stood out to me, that can actually make the team. And I think that's the most important thing when you're talking about rounds, you know, five, six, seven, or wherever they land for the Giants this year. I think that's the most important thing. And then I just really like the Waddle pick. I think, again, just to reiterate, they need to get every single weapon that Danny Dimes can get. I don't think he's the guy, but you need to find out before you start planning for your, your new future. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And if he's not the guy, there will be a different GM. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's just how it works now. I mean, obviously. And Frenchie, one last question on the Giants before we we wrap up here is: there's been conspiracies. What's that? Before my Kyle O'Brien conspiracies. Sure. Before those, Um, (laughs) there's been a lot made about Dave Gettleman not trading back and how the Giants are in this really good spot right now to trade back because this pick 11 holds a lot of value, and we don't know where some of the later quarterbacks are going to go. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of room for interpretation, let's put it that way, right now in that pick 11 range. And Gettleman like really went on the attack, as he often does, saying he's tried to trade back. And and certain trades that he thought he had done, you know, somebody ahead of them picked the player that the other team wanted and, and there was no trade and this, that, and the third. Do you see any opportunity here, or let me rephrase that, any actual reality that the Giants will trade back or is pick 11 pretty much set in stone for them? Uh, I think it's possible they trade back. I think the Patriots at 15 make a lot of sense as a trading partner, not just because of the Joe Judge connection. What I don't see... Dave Gettleman ever doing is let's say Baltimore takes 27 and 31 and tries to pair those to get to 11, even though it fits the Jimmy Johnson chart. I can't imagine Dave Gettleman falling that far back in the draft to not get one of his guys. But if if let's say the draft, you know, comes together the way that I had the first round where at 11, the giants are picking between Jalen Waddle, JC Horn, Rashawn Slater, maybe one of the edge guys, something like that. And Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, you know, so we just go with something like that. And there's about four or five guys who are all in that same kind of group. I think the Patriots are a team that could trade up with the Giants. If the Eagles, um, if the word comes out that the Eagles want to get a uh, offensive lineman, maybe the Chargers hop them, do something quick. I think it's way more likely that, you know, maybe the Raiders at 17 come up. Some of the rumors that they want a quarterback in this draft. I mean, that might be about as far as they could go. 20, I think, is starting to push it. Um, but, I mean, last year, I think it was Rappaport who was reporting the rumors that if Denzel Ward made it to four, there was a deal lined up for the Jaguars to trade with the Giants at four um, to flip it there. So, the Giants were trying to figure out all sorts of ways to trade and get Josh Allen and Daniel Jones two years ago. I don't think that he's, you know, refusing to trade back. I do think he values uh, some of these higher picks a little bit more than other people may. Um, whereas others, you know, particularly more analytical, though he hasn't proved some of the analytical, you know, 
operations at the Giants um, might value the number of picks a little bit higher. I think that he does hold um, he does hold the value of high picks a little bit more than many others. Uh, what I will say though is Daniel Jeremiah said the single funniest thing about this entire piece is that NASCAR will turn right before Dave Gettleman trades down. I don't. I don't think that the problem is that he won't trade down. I think that it's when the pick gets there, one of those guys are there. Um, right. Uh, last year they had you know trade downs already figured out for I think it was uh, pick what was it 37, uh, 36, 36 where they got Xavier McKinney. Yeah, uh, 37. That's what it was. And uh, but then Xavier McKinney was there, so they hung up the phone. You know, yeah, because so he was a guy that was mocked as early as the mid-teens. Yeah, I think I had him at 17 to the Patriots. Or, uh, yeah, 19 to the Patriots, something like that. But, again, I, I don't think that the piece is that he refuses to trade back. He might value things a little differently than most. And that's what I think will be interesting about 11, is that could be the spot for the last or the second-to-last quarterback. You know, how do you how do you look at this, Tom? I mean, you know, the trade back, I, I feel like it it's such a thing that fans look at and like, well, why didn't you ever do that? But no one ever pays attention to who you actually got or does their due diligence as to looking into what the trades could have been or the, or, or what ended up transpiring. Do you buy a lot into that or do you kind of just be like, eh, it, it's a lot to be made out of nothing? I lean towards it's a lot to be made out of nothing until you get to certain situations. I, I don't believe that the Giants GM has ever looked um, actively to trade back. I don't think he was ever the aggressor. Um, but I agree with I, I mean, I, I agree think with that. I think that I mean, I think that in my opinion this year, if a good if a good opportunity is prevent is presented to trade back, I think he may take advantage of it this year just because the Giants are at a crossroads in who to take. Yeah, and I'll I'll say this. I agree. I don't think he's ever been the aggressor to trade down. I totally am with you on that. Um, and part of that is because he values how high he gets to pick sometimes. Um, or uh, you know, during his better years, it's I'm already picking so low at 31. I don't want to have to miss out on another talented player. Um, so I, I totally agree with you that he's not trying to um, actively move down. But I will say, and Sean, you may or may not back me up on this. If anyone is just spiteful enough to move down because everyone said he wouldn't. It's Dave, <laughs> oh, it's Dave Gettleman. Maybe it's Dave. No, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I was I, when I listened to his presser the other day about I mean, he went on the attack. He's like, listen, I've tried. Trust me, I've tried. And I was like, well, I mean, I wasn't surprised because it's Gettleman. But at the same point, I'm like, I don't believe right, that he's this, tried. This could be him really. Yeah, I'm with you, Tom. Like you said, you, you use the perfect word there, aggressor. Like, I don't think he's ever been the guy to, like, spark up a conversation. But I think he has always been willing to listen. I was just like, uh uh-huh. Yeah, maybe this year he's gonna say to everybody, he's like, "You want me to trade down? You're, you want me to trade back? You want me to trade back? All right, I'll fucking trade back." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spot, I, and you know me, I love, I love spite, even absolutely. if it's not in your best interest. Spite <laughs> yeah. is sometimes a great thing. I, I will say the other spot where I think it's, I think it may be more possible at forty-two um, mm-hmm. to trade back because there is quite a 
good group of guys in this second round, third round. So someone, especially um, for teams fighting for that next group of quarterback. I mean, I've, I've seen Davis Mills mocked in the fifties pretty regularly. So someone jumping up into the forties to um, try and make their move for him. I, I would think that that's pretty plausible. And I don't think that if it's Waddle or Slater or, you know, an elite talent, I think it'd be much harder for him to pass up. But, you know, when we're in the middle rounds, especially if someone like Jason Owe is off the board, like I would assume that he would be in some other people, then I think it'd be more of a possibility in, uh, you know, at 42 than it would be at 11. Certainly makes sense to me. Yeah. How are we boys? How are we feeling? We ready for Thursday? (laughs) I could do a home. I go the second round next. Oh, yeah. I... Keep the recording going. I've got things to say. All right. <laughs> keep it going. All you. All, all right, you, I'll, man. I'll see you guys later then. I'll just keep this thing running. <laughs> Let me plug in my charger. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I am excited. I'm I'm hoping. The one thing I am hoping for is because you brought it up to me was Chuba. Mm. Yeah, I, I Sorry, man, I'm not in these rooms. If it was me, it'd be happening already. Let's get you in there, huh? Let's get you in there. I, I'm with you, man. And listen, all, all the fans out there, you listen to my work. Call your uncle who works for the Raiders. Give me his card. Pass along. <laughs> Give me we'll an try. interview somewhere. Yeah, everybody, listen <laughs> up. Yeah. Absolutely. Make, make this go viral. That's how shit happens, right? Yes. <laughs> thousand percent. All right. And Frenchie, all of all of your work that you put hours upon hours into is going up on our website. Tom, it's been about a year. I think the last time we had a contribution to our website was Frenchie's 2020 mock draft. Well, now he's bringing 2021. So that's going to be up. Good in observation, the coming days. Sean. Remember when you used to say you were going to write and shit? Yeah, I remember you also teasing some kind of article for like four months during listen, quarantine, listen. and then you're like, "Damn, I'm a CEO. I'm my a fingers, my okay. fingers." Yeah, yeah. Well, your lead, your leadership said that you were going to do something, and then you just stopped. So, I did. I did. Yeah. What do yeah. you think? The follower? He's just going to follow his lead? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to just start a new path, <laughs> and my new path well, is by not- telling you to get your ass to work. Yeah, well, my new path is we're uploading Frenchie's articles on the website. Who's this Beautiful. we? What's this we? <laughs> that, that's a fair point. We is in sorry, to, sorry, sports. Well, as, this, by the way, this pod went you. so long. I already uploaded French five, so I'm working on I'm working on French faves <laughs> right now. <laughs> but my phone keeps there crashing. So, boys, it, well, the first one's already up. Everybody, go ahead and check it out. Sorrysports.com. I'm uploading the second one right now. Sorry, sports by some sorry athletes. <laughs> <laughs> Tom working behind the scenes as only the CEO does. Frenchie, we'll talk to you in a week post draft. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was great. Yes. Already looking forward, but I can't wait until Chuba Hubbard comes into fruition, speaking into existence. Get him in the jersey's green. already on it. Yeah, the jersey's already on its way to Tom's house. So yes, <laughs> before it is even is to Chuba. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right, have a good night, guys. Thanks again, Mike. 
I'll have you do it. Thanks for having me.